Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Mother May I Sleep a Podcast. Today, we're bringing back Chelsea Sanders. She was on, I believe, season two when we did The Party Never Stops. Is that what it was called? Yeah. And that was a movie about binge drinking in college, which we love. That was a great movie. It was a fun movie. I think of it fondly whenever I see it on the Lifetime Movie Club. (laughs) But today we're doing counterfeiting in suburbia. That's how it's listed now um, on IMDb. More likely, you know it as um, <laughs> what is it called? Deadly, deadly transaction. transaction. You know, that's I what think I had to rent it under. <laughs> they're both. It's deadly and and in suburbia. They did like a double for real. I know they double dipped. I like that. Um, which title do you prefer? I like counterfeiting in suburbia because it's more accurate because deadly transaction sounds more like, I don't know, sex trafficking. Doesn't it? Yeah. Like it also like transaction, like while it definitely can mean cash, I don't my mind doesn't go to that. Yeah. And minus like the last four minutes of the movie, it's not that deadly. <laughs> You're right. It's not that deadly. Um, yeah, this is some pretty <laughs> in terms of like, you know, Things that can get crazy, though. This is pretty crazy. This is an ambitious task that these teenagers took on. And it's based on a real story. Like several real stories. Like it's happened across multiple states with multiple groups of teenagers. So, okay, I think we should just get into it because this movie does like right at the at the very top. It addresses something. Warning, duplicating U.S. currency in similar size and color carries a maximum punishment of 25 years in federal prison. U.S. Code Chapter 25. And then it says this movie is inspired by true events. Um, So, you know, one thing I think about a lot is how much counterfeit money I've probably seen in my life. Oh, yeah. I worked in um, at a chocolate shop for like a year and like the number of times I just use that little marker on a hundred dollar bill. And I'm like, it's fake, like a surprising number of times. And like, people are not trying to pull one over. And you They're like, I got it from a gas station. I'm like, I fully believe you. Like, Yeah. It's just like in circulation. There's a lot of yeah. fake money in circulation. And sometimes you do touch like a 20 and it hits different. You're like, this is like weirdly crisp the ones that are, like, or, kinda... weirdly, or the ones that are weirdly soft. Yes. Like there's sometimes you touch money and you're like, this feels like it might be fake, but I'm just going to choose not to acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like hard not to mention the notable instance in our recent history in which there was like allegedly counterfeit money with the whole George Floyd thing. I mean, like this, it's oh just God. around, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I felt I almost feel uncomfortable, like not acknowledging that after talking about like fake currency being filtered through, even though his money was not fake, you know? No, it was just suspected fake. Yeah. 
you never know. And I don't trust those black pens implicitly either. No, I always try to do like the hold it up to the sky and like see the reverse face. And like our boss was like, don't ever bother with anything like smaller than a hundred. Like we're a chocolate shop. If someone's trying to drop a hundred on a $3 truffle, that's weird. Like, yeah. Did you work at a C's? No, it was this. Uh, do you know the packing house at all? I don't. It's like uh, if you know, like the camp or the lab, it's like basically a hipster food court, like nothing in it is a chain. And it's like a grilled cheese bar and a waffles and fried chicken bar. And like they're all independent businesses. Mm-hmm. So I worked at a place called Dark 180 because 180 degrees is the temperature at which chocolate melts. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. It was open for like a year and a half and closed because, like I said, four dollar truffles. Um, but it was really good chocolate. <laughs> yeah, that does feel like an ambitious business. Yeah. That feels like one of those things like when I lived in Koreatown, you would see a lot of storefronts where it was like, I don't really know who's going to buy that. And then, of course, it would turn over like six months later or something. And and then you'd feel bad, you know? Yeah, we tried to do the whole like frozen hot chocolate thing. And everyone's like, like serendipity. We're like, "Uh, sort of like, but we can't claim to be serendipity. And uh, it was a whole mess. Yeah, you got to get in on that game, right? Like it's tough. Like you can't you there's at a certain point, you have to like be like inspired by or something because everyone's going to come in and say that same thing. Exactly. Mm. Anyway, so we see two girls are outside of a clothing boutique called Fresh inside of a mall. And one of them, Riley, says that she doesn't know if she can do this. But her friend Erica tells her to keep her chin up and remember that it's all about attitude. So right away, we establish that these girls are going to treat the saleswoman like shit. Uh, And she's going to match their energy for sure. Um, So this is definitely what I would consider to be, especially for a lifetime movie, like an upscale boutique. I think generally they did a good job of making the store seem wealthy versus like sometimes just, (laughs) you know how they come through with the props. I thought Um, the shoes were very DSW (laughs) and the jewelry was a little forever 21, but like the actual clothing clothing was decent. Yeah. You know, this is a comment that I would like to make. So they at one point pick up a leather bag that has like a chocolate brown leather with like a caramel colored detail on it. And it's very obviously supposed to mimic Louis Vuitton. And I went through this like whole thing in my head where I was like, why do they why do they go to that? Because we all look at that and we know it's not Louis Vuitton. Right. We all know. Like, oh, that's a little like trage when someone's trying to like, (laughs) you know, like pass off. Yeah. Pass off a bag like that. And there's so many designers that are upscale that you could mirror or mimic or do an inspired by version of that they could get. Like I've bought plenty of super cheap purses in my life that look high end designer because they just didn't do the obvious design. Exactly. Like. I do like those dupe purses from Chinatown all the time when I lived in New York and and I didn't need it to look like a Chanel. I'm like, will this be a decent $20 bag that will like get me through this semester? Cool. Right. And like, that's what I, that's my note to lifetime is like, if you want to make something look rich and you can't do logos, just get something that looks totally different and don't do a close up on the leather and I'm buying it. 
Um, but anyway, so the sales girl catches on that the two of them are really planning on balling out there that day. And when they go to checkout, there's a debate about whether or not they'd like to go to Spago for lunch or get some sushi. And this is like an obvious show for this woman, just like yeah. sort of priming her for like, don't worry, we've got the tab. And she starts to like scoff at them a little bit because Erica's like, oh, so Spago it is, I guess. And the woman like, you know, can't help but like stifle a laugh. And Erica's like, I'm sorry, is there something funny? I thought she was making fun of her because she kept saying Spago. Oh, is that what she was saying? Yeah, she wasn't saying Spago. She's like, should we go to Spago? I'm like, oh, sweetie. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple like Canadian vowels in this yeah. that hit really hard. Um, but yeah, so Erica she's the bitchier one. And she says like, Oh, you think we can't afford these clothes? And she's like, no, I'm sure you can with your daddy's credit card. And she's like, Riley goes, no, we'll be paying with cash. So the bill is $1,938 and 51 cents. And Riley pulls out a wad of cash and she puts down 20, $100 bills. And she tells the sales girl to keep the change. Which and you can't do in retail. I literally have the same fucking note. Like, why do they do that in movies where, like, they're giving a retail worker, like, a, a loose $62 to do whatever she wants with? Like, she can't do anything. No. And if I was going to rip off a store with fake money, I would be the nicest to the salespeople you've ever seen. So by the time you're handing them money, you're just chit-chatting. They're not even looking at the bills. Like, being a bitch is the number one way they're going to, like, check your money. Yeah, because that's when you're like, these people are either faking it or they're just awful people. Yeah. So, you know, the sales girl is like a little taken aback by this display of wealth and she thanks them for their purchase. And the girls leave the mall and we start to hear a voiceover from Riley. This is a voiceover movie, which I forgot many times while watching this movie. It was not a consistent voiceover. No, it's like a writing. It's like a writing trick voiceover. Very much like, like they watched the movie back and were like, "Ooh, this isn't clear. We need to go back. Yeah. Or like they just like certain monologues got cut or like they were like, how do we speed this up? Put in a monologue and put like a nice montage under it. Because the thing is, is like there's no monologues that really require the montage that exists. Like if we were seeing a ton of action during those voiceover scenes, I would understand it. But you get a lot of stuff that's just sort of like flashy shots of them making this money later on or whatever yeah. it's nothing like <laughs> i don't know um so let's play 311 to 503 and that's how it all started it was so easy for a moment we forgot we were actually breaking the law we were two naive high school students embarking on a path of crime and deep down i knew it wasn't going to end well try next i could use a new car maybe an audi that new cabriolet is hot okay are you nuts what we are not doing that again whoa hang on it's worthless paper erica are you having a senior's moment that worthless paper just bought you a whole new wardrobe okay we were this close to getting caught do you know what the penalty is for counterfeiting do you no, but that's not the point. That's exactly the point. Did you see the look on Morticia's face when you slapped those Benjamins down? She didn't have a clue. 
She was a clerk at a clothing store, Erica. Of course, she didn't have a clue. What are you doing? Printing some more of these babies. God, it even feels like money. Yeah, because it's 75% cotton, 25% linen. Just like the real thing. See, this is why we're gonna be rich. Attention to detail. You don't get it. Look, the newer bills have security features like microprinting and holographic ribbons. Things I couldn't duplicate even if I wanted to. Which is sort of the point. Where there's a will, there's a way. Not this way. What's wrong with you? This was your idea. I thought you wanted to have some fun while paying off some bills. I do, but I don't want to go to jail. So let's just talk about the way these teens are written, because I think it's interesting that they say a senior's moment instead of a senior moment, but then also reference Morticia Adams. (laughs) Yeah, this is. It's I like it because I will say what I like about it is that they obviously didn't put themselves through the ringer on like figuring out teen slang because sometimes that's really cringy and it's not like evergreen. Like it's just like a moment in time. And then like you see it three years later and you're like, that's so embarrassing. But um, yeah, like they went really vintage, like the writer didn't even try which uh, to get like current, which I kind of appreciate. There's only like one moment that stands out to me is like, oh, you can't write teenagers that like really sticks out, I think, in like the next scene. But yeah, they just kind of had them talk like adults. (laughs) Yeah, but like old adults, like a senior moment. Like, I don't know if I've heard someone say a senior moment since like the 90s. No. And also the thought of them buying a car cash and that not being suspect. I'm like, you're the dumbest people to ever live. Like. I, like a store clerk wouldn't know what a fake bill looks like. Those are exactly the kind of people who know what fake bills look like. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. And it should be noted that at this point, the counterfeiting operation is completely contained to Riley's bedroom inkjet printer. So like <laughs> this isn't like a, a high class super skilled operation at this point although riley's obviously very good at what she does it also seems very expensive for them to be using computer ink like that and also like the fancy paper that they use to print money that's like real casually thrown in yeah like i don't think you just get that shit at staples maybe you do though i don't know but um yeah so riley's you know in her closet and Erica follows her in there and tells her that, you know, newsflash, your aunt isn't bringing home the bacon these days. And Riley's annoyed that she would use this against her. Apparently, you know, her aunt is the one who's raising her and her aunt comes home right at that moment. And they bag up the trash with the ripped up money in it in her room. And um, Karen is that's her aunt. She's carrying home um, these like fresh herbs and veggies in her grocery bag, which I love it. I love it when like a little greenery is popping out of a bag because they didn't have to do all that for this movie. No, there's it's some like online sketch and it's like the it's a running joke of like, oh, um, and they're walking home from the grocery store. It's like, oh, you know, my usual a bag of loose oranges and one French baguette. Like, that's all you ever see in a grocery yeah. store bag, like carrot tops. Like, you got to have that in there. Like that really lets you know these people eat a balanced diet. Um, 
So Karen hears the tail end of Erica begging Riley to keep up this charade. And she asks him what's going on. And Erica's like, oh, um, Riley was going to bail on her math homework to hang out with her boyfriend. But I think she should do it. And Karen tells her that she likes Oliver, but she only has six months left of school and she needs to focus. Art isn't going to translate into a viable career for her and she needs to get into a good college. And right now she has a C average. And Riley says she doesn't want to go to school and they don't even really have the money to send her to school. But her aunt's like, yeah, that's because you're not getting scholarships. You know, you need to work harder and I want you to have a job. You need some responsibility. And Erica tells her that the two of them were talking about it and Fong's market is hiring. She put in a good word for Riley, a.k.a. Miss Underemployed. And I love, love, love the idea is referring to a 17 year old as underemployed. Like capitalism truly at work. I always had after school jobs, but I don't think if I didn't, I would ever be referred to as underemployed. No. And I also love her simultaneously saying she needs to spend more time on her homework and also she needs to get a job. I think she needs structure, which is true. I mean, she definitely has idle hands. Yeah, she is just palling around the mall and hanging out with her boyfriend. But it's like you really need to concentrate on your schoolwork more. And also you need to get an after school job. Yeah, I mean, listen, Riley's been through a lot in her life and we'll learn more about that throughout this. But I do think that you know, it's it's asking a lot. She's in the home stretch of her senior year. There's been major changes at her home as soon as as recently as the last six months. Her whole life has been sort of a circus. Like, I do think she needs some structure. She does. And there's a lot of like coming and going in this house. Like Erica's really allowed to like be around. And the boyfriend later in this movie is upstairs in her room with her with the door shut, which is fine. But like Karen needs to. Karen needs to pick a lane, kind of. That needed to have been established at this point. So, you know, Karen motivates her to go after the job and she gives her a kiss on the cheek and Riley just absolutely recoils. And she goes, oh, did I break the PDA rule or something? Because like we're not in public, by the way, and I'm absolutely allowed to kiss my niece in my own kitchen. And I, I like had this moment where I was like, oh, this is truly like the Reddit bros when they're like, what if the roles were reversed? Like, truly, this <laughs> would be weird. Like if this was her uncle. Oh, truly creepy. <laughs> Being like, I'm allowed to kiss my niece in my own kitchen. <laughs> Referring to a cheek kiss as PDA is like, Ugh, like, yeah, that's that also felt like maybe the writer was like not necessarily in touch because that's like another term that. I wouldn't use that way. Like, but what are they going to say? Like, oh, you don't want physical affection from your aunt? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it was like back when they threw around hooking up when it could simultaneously mean like hanging out and having sex. Oh, and like, yeah. you just heard it on like Disney Channel. It's like, oh, we're going to hook up after school. And you were just like, what? What? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that was the worst because I feel like hooking up like solely became a sexual thing when I was around like high school, middle school. So when my mom would say like, oh, are you guys going to hook up after school? Like I, I never heard the other meaning for it ever. No, it just did not exist in our generation. So Riley walks Erica out and she asked her what the hell she was doing back there in the kitchen. You know, she's not getting a job. And Erica tells her that that's her excuse when Karen wants to know 
where all of her money is coming from. Because, you know, Fong's market pays $20,000 a day to after school workers. (laughs) So Riley says she's not doing that, but she's kind of stuck unless she wants to go work at the market herself. So at school the next day, Riley runs into her classmate, Stephanie. And Stephanie is... This is like some Degrassi shit, right? Because Mm -hmm. Stephanie is like the coolest girl in school who also happens to have cancer and is in a wheelchair. Yes. And like that could happen, but it's very it's very Degrassi where it's like she has cancer, but like there's not like her boyfriend, like Riley's boyfriend's a little shitty about it. But like for the most part, like kids aren't shitty about it in this movie. When I think in real life, that would not be an easy position to be in. No, people would be terrible to her, unfortunately. <laughs> so Stephanie and her are just catching up when all of a sudden the popular girl click comes over and the ringleader, Missy Rogers, tells Riley that her jeans make her ass look fat. And this is pre- having a fat ass is a good thing. But this also was made in 2018 when having a fat ass was definitely a good thing. So that's another area where there's some disconnect. Yeah, that was the stick out line where I'm like, oh, you you tried. You tried to insult her like a teenager. Like, (laughs) but like for someone who's like such a terror in these streets, Miss Missy Rogers, we certainly never see her again. No. And this popular group is so bad that Stephanie says that she's the queen of backhanded compliments. The other day she told her that she thought her hair looked nice and she thinks she thought that she meant it. Right. So Oliver, Riley's boyfriend, sneaks up behind them and Stephanie says she has to go to class. So Oliver and Riley head down the hall together and he asked her why she was talking to the Grim Reaper. And Riley's like, that's fucked up. Okay, Stephanie's in remission, which I liked that. I liked her having the the um, vocabulary to express that. Yeah. And that seems like the only shitty thing Oliver says the whole movie. Like, no, Oliver's great. Like, it's so out of character for him when you see the rest of the movie. You're like, Oliver would not call a girl with cancer the Grim Reaper. Like, I don't know. The thing with his character is that he definitely is like a soft boy and like very sweet in the whole second half of it. But in the first few scenes with him, he's kind of like a he's kind of like at the very like at the very least a douche. Like there's this whole conversation about music in the cafeteria later. And it's also that things where like guys are testing the water. Like, can I be shitty with my girlfriend? And the girlfriend's like, no, you can't. And he's like noted like. If she'd laughed at it, he'd have been like, ah, I can make shitty jokes to you now about other people. I appreciate Riley keeping him in check. And I appreciate that Riley's a good person because I will say that outside of Karen and our girl, uh, Stephanie, I don't think she's surrounded by many good people. No. So Oliver mentions that he's failing chemistry and needs a tutor. Can she help? And she's like, I might be able to at lunch, which completely threw me because I thought that Riley was sort of a like a a dunce, like a strictly C student. Like she shouldn't be tutoring anyone. Yeah, like excellent at art, passable at English, but chemistry, like that's not, you know, that's not a visual learning class. Maybe it is, but in terms of the tests, I don't really think so. It's pretty math heavy. Yeah. So in art class, Riley and Erica are working on their projects, and the teacher comes over. 
Tim Sylvester and he compliments Riley and asks Erica why she's fussing, you know, with her nails. And she's like, I got paint under my nails. Um, and there's like a cute moment between the two of them. It's definitely a little bit flirty. She tries calling him by his first name, Tim. And she's like, by the way, is there a Mrs. Sylvester? And he's like, okay, all right. So he walks away and she tells Riley that she thinks he's really hot. And this is daddy issues territory 100% because he's definitely not a bad looking guy, but I would say he's even old for me. (laughs) And he's got that like weird dyed gray hair thing going on. Yeah. I can't tell if they dyed it gray to make him look older or if he went white and dyed it gray to look more like salt and pepper. And I don't know why they would need to do that because like at a certain point, like it just makes Erica look so crazy. Yeah. For going after this man. And and frankly, like he could have used the youthfulness of a of a decent dye job. You know what it movie. reminded me of of Rob Lowe's gray hair in um the lifetime movie he did where he killed his wife. Oh, um Drew Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. Untouchable. So there bad. we go. That was so bad. So Riley points out that the machine across the room from them is the intaglio printing press and it's what they use to make money and erica thinks that it looks old and janky that can't be what they use now and riley says that old doesn't mean bad it's organic and tactile erica asks her if she's implying that they can use the machine to up the quality of their product but riley tells her to stop they're not doing that And Erica looks behind her to catch a glimpse of Tim, the teacher. And sure enough, he's looking right back at her. So we're laying some sexual tension here. We're laying some knowledge that Riley has. Like, you know, she just happens to like to print money. It's something that she's capable of. It's just another way her artwork can show up in the world. The fact that it has monetary value is completely coincidental. Absolutely. So at lunch, Riley grabs a seat next to Oliver, who's listening to the White Album on his headphones. And Riley makes a face when she hears that. And he's like, what? I thought you liked vintage music, which killed me. The White Album. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, I've never heard someone say vintage music. No, I've heard. No, I've never heard vintage music. And also the fact that she's like the White Album. Never heard of it. Like, come on. I will say, though, that the Beatles... Riley and I have that in common. I'm not crazy, crazy about the Beatles. I know Even everyone if you're not. Is. That's like their best hits album. Like, no, it is their greatest hits for sure. And like, listen, I don't want to like polarize the Beatles fans in the audience. I don't want to like create a distance between us. But I will say that I've heard them my whole life. I've heard enough Beatles. Like, I, <laughs> I just I, I feel like if I rolled up to a boyfriend and I was like, what are you listening to? And he said the white album, I'd be like, really? Like, have you never been to like a a bar? Like, I mean, I guess he hasn't been to a bar, but like, have you never been to like a fair? Like the Beatles are everywhere. You don't need to listen to them in your headphones. Yeah. But to establish them both as like music snobs to be like, I'm listening to Hotel California. Like, it's such a weird choice. Yeah. Oliver goes, well, that's a problem. You're an even bigger hipster than I am, which again, listening to the Beatles. 
This is older people writing for young kids like uh, hipsters don't listen to the fucking Beatles, dude. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so Erica runs over and asks Oliver if she can borrow Riley for a minute. And the two of them, they run up to the hall together and Erica shows her a key. It's for the art room. She stole it from Tim when he was staring at her boobs. She made a copy and put the original back before he realized it was gone. And Erica remembers that she has something for Riley. She pulls out a wad of cash and Riley asks her if she's selling her product. And Erica's like, no, it's our product. And I didn't sell the money. I just sold a bunch of the clothes we bought to other students for real cash. But selling kids money isn't a bad idea. And Riley's like, no, 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 that's crazy. Like, we can't do that because someone's going to wind up leaking it, which is the smartest thing. I mean, Riley's pretty level headed, but that's so true. Like, you cannot go around selling, <laughs> selling fake money because like that's the first thing that's going to come back there. Someone else is going to get past a, a bad bill. They're going to take it to the wrong place. People are going to ask, where'd you get it? And it's going to be end of end of business day. The first day they will be caught. Exactly. And she mentions she's like, oh, I sold those clothes we bought from Ralph Lauren. I'm like, is that the store we were trying to imitate? Like, yeah, <laughs> well, it was like Ralph Lauren dresses, she said. So, yeah, I guess this boutique carries you know, Ralph Lauren. I also don't know a lot of high school girls that are like snatching up Ralph Lauren dresses. No, but I guess they have taste. You know, maybe they bought them as Mother's Day gifts. I don't know. Sweater sets for mom. Um. <laughs> so Erica asks if that means she's still in and Riley's like, yeah, OK, I'm still in. And Erica says we need to find other ways to diversify our income. And Oliver overhears this because he's coming up behind them in the hall. And he says, it sounds like you guys are talking about stocks, which I was waiting for like a Wall Street bets moment. Like I was waiting for him to talk about stocks. Oh, especially in the middle of all of this GameStop nonsense. I was like, oh, the word stocks is triggering right now. <laughs> you know that there's like 16 year old boys who don't even have a debit card who are like flexing their stock market knowledge on their classmates right now. I have an Acorns app right now and I check it about every six months and go, oh, I made $40. Cool. Right. <laughs> that's, right. that's the extent of my involvement. Listen, I'm so happy for the people that cashed in big. I did not get on on the wave in time and I don't think I would have. Like, I definitely was nervous around the whole thing because I was like, I want to get in. But I knew I was like, this is just going to end bad for me. And I'm also scared of like, backlash like it almost felt too good to be true i mean just the stories you were seeing of like i put in 40 dollars and now it's fifty i'm like that is not gonna last someone is gonna do something wrong and it's all gonna come down but then also i've noticed like stocks are trending on tiktok like they have been for a minute where like they'll be like weird hipster adults and i don't mean like van life adults like i don't mean like hipster adults in that way i'm talking about like people in t-shirts with like a fucking boob tattoo coming out of the top and being like, why don't we work? Well, we do. We just do stocks all day. We made $15,000 this month. And it's just like, they're like, you should uh, learn how to do stocks with us. And I'm kind of like, there's a strange undercurrent here. Like it felt like it was being pre-influenced and it was something that I was just like, I don't I don't know. Like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop and I hope it doesn't. I really hope it doesn't. But it was almost like the idea of casually trading stocks being presented to like people in their early 20s 
when that can really get you in a lot of trouble, it's as risky as Vegas. I was just like, "Mm, girl, I don't know. And I think because this blew up so hard and you're seeing people put in such crazy amounts of money and like get such crazy amounts out. I'm just going to hear like so many high schoolers like I put all my graduation money towards Blackberry and AMC and like. I just worry about a lot of people like turning 18 and getting access to their money and just throwing it down a hole. Yeah, that's the scariest thing. Right. And so, I mean, by the way, I do want to add no hate on boob tattoos. I mean, my godmother has a boob tattoo and I worship her. So I'm just saying that it felt like people were coming out of nowhere similar to MLM Huns and being like, oh, yeah, I made like twenty thousand dollars selling leggings this week. And it's like, no, you didn't. You absolutely did not. (laughs) Why are you marketing this like that? It felt dangerous, especially when like there weren't referral codes and all of that. I was like, this feels like a grassroots movement um, from like the wrong people. I don't know. Anyway, no one's the right people. Let's be real. So if that if this movie teaches you one thing, it's that. So Erica drags Riley and Oliver over to the mall to go to the currency exchange. And Riley thinks that this is a really bad idea. But Erica proceeds anyway. She's always going to be the pusher. So they go inside this currency exchange and um, Erica asks for 100 euros or for like the equivalent of 100 US dollars in euros because she's going to France next week to see her hot boyfriend. And the cashier says that that's not enough to get very far in Europe. And Erica's like, I only need enough to get to the hotel. I have a hot boyfriend who's meeting me there and he's going to pay and for I'm everything. just going, don't be memorable. Stop talking. Stop right. giving her information. Stop. Like, just <laughs> say something. Like, you just like, I, I don't even, you don't even need to explain why you need euros. Just go in there and do it. You know? Can I exchange these? Nice weather we're having. End of yeah. conversation. And if anyone asks, be like, I'm doing it for a relative, like end of story, period. That's it. Like <laughs> you don't need to paint a background. And I'm the worst with that. I say that watching this because I am a terrible liar. Like, like yeah. it's hard to watch other people be bad at lying. And like currency exchanges, I'm sorry, are the most intimidating places because I did, I had to exchange pounds or euros or something at like South Coast Plaza, which like hell on top of hell. And like, I know it's legit money and they stare you down like you are Al Capone trying to rob them. It's like that is not the place I would try to pass off fake money in a million years. No, 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 no. So (laughs) she's pulling this whole thing and the woman's like, "Okay, well, I can give you 85 euros for 100 bucks. And she takes the money and she says she'll be right back. So we see video of the girls from the POV of a security camera. And Riley says in her voiceover, by exchanging our bill for foreign currency, Erica knew that she had hit the easiest way to launder counterfeit money. It was but it was risky. These weren't sales clerks. So the woman comes back and gives Erica her money and the girls like come out and they're all like, you know, giddy because of this. And they're talking about how. You know, Riley doesn't like that. She thinks this is a really easy way to get caught. And Erica assures her that the woman in there sees a thousand people a day. There's no way she'll figure out it's them. And Riley says that this isn't a reliable way to do this long term. They'll have to go to other currency exchanges if they want to keep doing it this way. And Erica says that she just read her mind and she heads off. I want to um, just note here that like there's no way there's thousands of people going into the currency exchange at the mall. No. Especially in whatever town they're in, which looks fairly small. Well, it felt very Canadian because this is a Canadian movie. Like it was 
obviously shot in Canada, used Canadian actresses. And the fact that like there's a currency exchange in a mall like that and that the writer or anyone would think that thousands of people are coming and going a day. I was like, this sounds like it is a border city type of thing. Yeah. At one point you do see a Washington license plate. So like at biggest they're in Seattle, but like it did not seem Seattle to me. It's it felt like small suburb. Yeah. So um, it was filmed in um, British Columbia. Yeah. Okay. It, it feels Canadian. <laughs> so Riley tells her, yeah, this isn't reliable, blah, blah, blah. So Oliver tells Riley that he feels like he's watching a foreign movie with no subtitles. Basically, he doesn't understand what's going on. And Riley tells him that they need to talk. Riley's voiceover continues to say, once we had the real euros, the pressure was off. We could exchange them for U.S. currency at a different shop. So Erica holds up the U.S. dollar she just got and says, voila, we just cleaned our money. So Riley notes that they also made an extra 11 percent. And Oliver's silent because this is a lot for him to take in. And Riley asks him to say something. He's scaring her. And how did the extra 11 percent work? Because currency exchanges charge you a fee. But why would they make an extra 11 percent? I have no I mean, they made 100 percent because they exchanged zero dollars for money. I guess that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So <laughs> they made 100 percent profit, not 11. Yeah, I have no idea where the 11 came from, unless she's thinking, well, we went from 100 to 85 to 100. Like, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know um, if you guys are currency changing experts let us know so he's shaking when he tells them that he cannot believe that they're counterfeiting a hundred dollar bills and riley says yeah and soon we're gonna have to switch over to 20s so we'll be less conspicuous and oliver nods and is like okay i'm your boyfriend i'm supposed to support you so back at school erica says she's brilliant to have gotten riley this fake cashier job to cover for her and she asked Riley to promise that she'll tell her aunt that she got the job that night. And Riley agrees. But she points out that Karen isn't just an aunt to her. If it wasn't for her, she would be in foster care or out on the street. And Erica says that she gets it. Karen would never risk losing her. So Riley, you know, can't believe that she's doing this. And Erica says to just believe it. Her aunt's debts will be a thing of the past and they're living the high life. And that night at home, Karen checks the mail. This is actually sad. And she heads inside. She thinks she's alone in the house, I think. And she's just looking through a bunch of past due bills. And the pressure of all of this is just too much for her. And she starts to cry and then sob. And Riley comes down and Karen tries to suck it up a little bit. And Riley asks her if the life insurance got in. And she says, no, they're still blaming the accident on Uncle Dale. So we know this is a recent death if we're still in life insurance policy territory. Um, I don't know why Riley would think she'd be like sobbing over the sink if they got the life insurance in other than I maybe mean, relief. She, I think she could just be crying because like her husband is dead, like or just like I got the insurance policy. My husband is dead. Like. Right. We're out of our troubles, but like I'm reminded again that he's gone. So like the money's not worth it. It did feel a little out of touch. The yeah, way but she just came in and asked that question, like it kind of seemed like, I don't know, read the room, sis. Like, <laughs> why are you crying? Pick a reason. <laughs> right. Like, are you OK? That's probably where I would start. But Riley tries to cheer her up by telling her that she got 
the job at Fong's Market. She starts tomorrow night and she won't be home for dinner. And Karen tells her that this will be so good for her. She offers to bring Riley a brownie in her room. But Riley's like, no, I'm all good. And Karen tells her that she knows she seems manic, but things are just a little bit messy. And she's still there if Riley needs anything. She tells Karen that she misses Uncle Dale, too. So that's nice. Um, what was with the brownie, do you think? Do you think that's just a gesture of caring? I think so, because she's also like, oh, I already ate dinner. And like for your teenager to r- roll home already having eaten dinner is a little weird. Like if you don't know that if you weren't expecting her to have come home fed, she's like, oh, automatically offering dessert. Like I probably w- I think I fed myself in high school, but. I mean, I I wonder why they did that, like writing wise. You know what I mean? Like, do you think that they were like, this is this is like too sisterly if she's just openly weeping about bills? Maybe we have to put in a line where she offers to bring this teenager a brownie in her room. I think maybe to make her a little more parent like so that when she comes down later in the movie, it's not like, wow, Aunt Karen's a bitch. Like, no, she loves her. She brought her a brownie. Like, right. Yeah. I think they're just trying to show like the nature of of their relationship, all the different facets. So Riley's working in her room and watching YouTube videos about the printing system. And in the art room the next day, she takes a high res photo of a hundred dollar bill that she's hiding under a picture of like a nature scape. It looks like something that Bob Ross would reference when painting a painting. Yeah. And You know, she's like sort of trying to be sly about it. This teacher, though, knowing what's going to come with this teacher. I wonder what he really knows. Like, this seems to be like the teacher that like reads your texts when he takes your phone. Oh, 100 percent. And like the fact that he's constantly creeping up behind them is like he wants to overhear shit. He wants to know what's going on. Yeah, he likes to be a little too close. Like, I think he has eyes everywhere. So that night in her room, she's in a dark web search engine type thing, looking up tips for spoofing common counterfeit bill detectors. I wrote down the name of the website because it made me laugh so hard. Yes. Deep dark slash deep web link directory hidden wiki mirror top browser <laughs> i'm like y'all just threw all the tech words you could think of at that wall didn't you well i almost thought it was like as bad as she went to like google.com and typed in dark web like i kind of felt like that was almost somewhat elite compared to what i i assumed the understanding of the dark web would be in this movie and also to just go into a chat room and like first question, first post, where do I buy stuff to spoof money? Like, that's a great way to get caught by an undercover agent. Like, well, she did right here asking for a friend. Oh, well, then she's cleared of all charges. She was yeah. asking for a friend. She's asking for just a friend like she, you know, she might not even remember that friend's name. Like she just wanted to check this out in case she should run into that friend again. Hypothetically, where would you hide a body? Um so she gets a reply from someone named Skullkeeper saying that she needs to go look for a holographic strip, a watermark and micro printing tools. And they even provide a link for her to buy them and warn her to wear a rubber. So she heads out the door with her backpack and tells Karen that she has another shift at work. 
Um, Erica and Riley say hi to the janitor, Mr. Bernard, who's the hero of this movie in my mind. And he's there waxing the floors late at night. And they tell him that they'll be in the art room working on a project. Mr. Sylvester knows that they're there and he gave them a key. And so she flashes him the key that she made him like, I love like those little details of it yeah. where they're just so Erica's so confident. Like that's such a great character detail for her. So the two of them get to work. We see a montage of them making bills and going to the mall to make big purchases at fresh boutique and jewelry stores. And all of that is under Riley's voiceover where she says it was a technical process, but the art department had all the tools. We made our hundred dollar printing plate with photo emulsion and an acid bath. The Secret Service made more than thirty six hundred counterfeit arrests last year. It wasn't bad odds knowing that there was a hundred million in counterfeit currency floating around out there. Most bills are made with inkjet printers, but we were old school. Many of the images on counterfeit money aren't as crisp as the real deal. Luckily for us, eight out of 10 store clerks aren't trained to look for it anymore since most customers are, are used to using credit or debit cards. In the United States, the $20 bill is the most frequently counterfeited, but for the designer shops we liked, the hundreds work just fine. They finish up their last batch of money for the night and... All of this is still not enough for Erica. Um, what did you think about the bill making process itself before we get into this clip with Erica? First of all, what public school has this kind of art room? I know, especially like, one that's supposedly like struggling. Yeah, like they have the exact same printing press as the U.S. Treasury Department. H how? How? Um, but I mean, I guess we see her Googling a little bit, but just to like know to do an acid bath and your school happens to have the right chemicals, like the actual visual of it was pretty cool, but the suspension of disbelief was a little bit tricky to follow. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think the main thing that I took from this is that Riley really could have gotten that scholarship if she had applied herself and that art probably wouldn't be a valueless career for her. Maybe like she could have been a chemistry actually, tutor. <laughs> she could do like some major screen printing stuff or something. Like, I think that she would really find her way because she obviously takes to this stuff very easily and has a passion for it. Um, because to get all the way to being able to confidently counterfeit money, like you have to have some skill. But, you know, what or do just we think go all um. <laughs> I was going to say, go catch me if you can and just go work for the Treasury Department. Like, <laughs> look how right. easy it was for me. Yeah. So they refer to the Secret Service a lot in this. And in my mind, the Secret Service is like who works for the president. Is there a Secret Service that oversees Treasury? No, I thought they'd be like Treasury agents or the Treasury Department. Yeah, like well, the they kept FBI. Secret Service. Yeah, I think that that was like a Canadian thing almost. Oh, that could be. It could be a Canadian thing. Um, because that just didn't tra like translate to what I know of the law. Secret Service is like a very specialized group. But anyway, um, Erica still wants more. Let's play 2032 to 21 minutes. Listen, I get that you want to play it safe, but we need to go back to a currency exchange. We talked about this. But the money works. It's just too big of a risk. Besides, you said it yourself, diversify. You're so paranoid. You girls pulling an all-nighter? Uh, almost done. Just give us a sec. My daughter's were this dedicated. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know that some of you out there are the way I was a few months ago and sleeping on a saggy, baggy mattress that doesn't offer your adult body the support you need. If your bed might as well belong in a frat house, listen up. Helix Sleep is it, baby. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just about two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They've got soft, medium, and firm mattresses. If you're one of those people whose temperature skyrockets while you're sleeping, they've got cooling options. There's even a mattress that's ideal for plus-size folks. I took the Helix quiz and was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux. For years, I preferred soft mattresses and didn't mind tossing and turning the way that I did. Now I prefer more of a medium firmness and sleeping on my backer side. As I've gotten older, what I need in a good night's sleep has changed, and this combo has been working so well for me. It's the most comfortable bed, and I wake up really well rested and in less unnecessary pain. A noticeable difference for me is that my migraines have decreased since sleeping in this new bed because I'm getting the proper support my body needs, and that's huge for my productivity, my mood, everything. So if you're looking for a new mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress you're matched to, and it will come straight to your door shipped for free. Helix gives you a 10-year warranty, and you can try out your new bed for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but I think you will. Don't just take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com. That's H-E-L-I-X-S-L-E-E-P.com slash mother may I and take the two minute quiz. They'll match you with a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash mother may I. This episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. I've been subscribed to Book of the Month for three months now, and I'm obsessed. If you're a big reader or maybe even a lapsed big reader who's been wanting to get back into it regularly, consider checking it out. Book of the Month, they read like hundreds of books every month from new and emerging authors, and they whittled on the list to just the very best. They provide you a diverse little selection of hardcover fiction to pick from, which is an element of it that I really love. I can find going into the bookstore to be super overwhelming, and when I know I have about a dozen really solid options to choose from, it makes the decision way easier. Plus, it's cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and there's a loyalty program with rewards and even lower prices if you choose to stick around. There's an app where you can pick your upcoming books and track the progress of your reading, and there are challenges on there with rewards. Your book arrives in a super aesthetically pleasing box, by the way. That's the kind of touch that I always really appreciate. Personally, I read at my own pace. Sometimes I can only get to one of my two books a month, and I keep the ones I haven't read yet on my windowsill right next to my bed so I can just see them all there. It inspires me to pick one up and read. It's nice to have options in front of you. If you're interested in trying it out, you can get your first book for $5 with code PASTEL at bookofthemonth.com. That's code PASTEL at bookofthemonth.com. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. 
And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Okay, so when the janitor comes in, Mr. Bernard, an angel, I like love him so much. I don't even know like how to describe it. We spend like maybe 10 lines with him throughout this movie, and I just am so endeared to him. But they're shoving like 30 bands in their bags when he comes in. Like it's a significant amount of money, and he just narrowly misses them doing this to the point where it's like, there's so much money that they're hiding that if I were them, I'd be like, oh, yeah, no, it's fake money for a project. Like there's yeah. it's almost an unbelievable amount of money. Yeah. Oh, when we get into it later, I literally did the math on like how much money they would have printed, like based on the stacks they had. They had way too much money. It looked like millions. Wait, like each stack is 100 bills. Yeah. And so that'd be, yeah. Like, wait, like, so when they're talking about $50,000 later on, I'm like, no, no, it would be, it'd be 10 of those. You have yeah. like 45. <laughs> right. Right. Like they just honestly shoved like half a million dollars in their mini backpacks. They stuff their backpacks. Yeah. It's a lot. So we cut to a shitty apartment and the place is an absolute mess. Um, you know, if this is what teachers live in, I do think, you know, I always think that teachers need to do better than they're doing. But this is like, honestly, a shame to think that a teacher would be living in this apartment. Um, and there is a knock at the door. We see Tim's face pop up from the couch. He's clearly been having a night. Um, 2111 to 2205. Oh, yeah, yeah. What the hell? Sorry, Mr. Sebastian. Uh, this is strike two. I gotta, I gotta send a message. You're Message received. Now they're gonna need their principal back by the close okay. of business on Saturday. Yeah. Saturday. Hey, 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 plus 20% interest. Understand? Yeah. I advise you not make me come back here. Okay. Have a nice day. Thank you. All right. So this teacher who lives in actually a decent apartment, it's a decent apartment. It just is. He lives in squalor within that apartment, if that makes sense. He he's in debt to someone. It seems like a mob type group for what we never know. If it's a loan shark, if it's a yeah, they never explain. 
maybe it's for the apartment he's living in. Maybe he bought this condo, but it's just bizarre because it seems like something like gambling or maybe is it drugs? Like it has to be illicit, whatever it is he's borrowing this money for. Yeah. But like that would have been so telling if they had told us. And they could have even made it like something like to try to make him somewhat sympathetic so that when he flips later, it's more like (gasps) like it was like it was for my sister's cancer treatment and I had to get the money no matter what. Like, but they're just like 50,000 for some reason. The way that he woke up when they knocked on the door almost implied to me that this guy like has problems like he was up all night doing drugs or something. Yeah, very much. And also, he just looks rough generally he does look rough he looks like he's seen some shit and yeah i mean it's i i wonder if they didn't want to do drugs explicitly because that would make it that much more weird and dark what happens later on but i wish that they had they had given him something a better cause yeah Um, so, you know, not necessarily for the needs of like sympathizing with him, but for context, you know, so Karen is not the only person in debt in this movie, because not only is he in debt to these loan sharks, but like he also had a fistful of bills waiting for him when he got to the door that morning. And, you know, he, uh, there's two bloody noses prominently in this movie as well. And that's one of them. So the next day at school, Tim is on his way to his classroom when the janitor stops him to say that he's got some keeners in there. And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, Riley and Erica were in your room all night. Whatever it is they're working on is going to be great. And um, Tim definitely holds on to this. And so when he gets to the art room, he starts looking around for some sign of what went on there last night. And he spots rubber gloves the girls left out when they were hurrying and he sniffs them. And that's the substance he knows. All right. So he's already like something's going on. I think I have an idea. And then he spots a hundred dollar bill crumpled up on the floor and he gives it a close look and something sticks. So we get a VO from Riley who says our fellow students were the easiest way to sell our stuff for hard cash. Top sellers, jewelry and brand name shoes at 75 percent discount. Not a big profit margin, but quick turnaround. So they're running sort of like a flea market out of their lockers and car trunks, selling shoes to girls, jewelry, just like they're, you know, they're. They're the guy with the trench coat at their school. Yeah. And like, honestly, if they'd stuck with that, they could have been fine until graduation. That definitely would have been enough, right? I mean, the 75% discount, though, was kind of extreme. Yeah, you didn't have to go that far. You could have gone 50 and made just as much. Or, or even like, you know, I would say even a 60% discount. I would go generous. 75%. Like, at that point, just sell it to marshals just I mean, be better at stealing large batches of things you offer up do like facebook marketplace go <laughs> right go big i think they wanted the splashy moment of them being like you know at school selling these things out of trunks but then again like you know with money if they were afraid to sell the kids money why are they sending kids home with like designer shoes that are just going to get more questions from adults that care about them personally even more? That's what I mean is like when like if she rolls to school every day and pops up on her trunk, eventually like someone's going to say like, oh, yeah, Riley can get you all the designer stuff you need. Ask her anything like that ties it back to her. But like if she'd sold it online, 
it would have gotten it away from her and they wouldn't necessarily know she was a teenager selling all these things. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that just doesn't play the same way because like true. They'd have to have like random adults coming up to the house and like checking out the shoes in the garage. Like, True. I, mean, I would like to see a version of that in a movie, but I think that they wanted to go splashy. But then it just sort of undercuts the idea that this is somehow more brilliant than selling kids cash. I don't know. So Erica sneaks up on Riley in the hall and Riley tells her not to do that. And she goes, rough night, Michelangelo. And Riley's like, yes, if I have to see one more Benjamin Franklin in my lifetime, I'm going to hurl. She goes, well, what about Grant? And she holds up this wad of 50s and said that she stopped by the currency exchange after school. And Riley tells her that she promised not to do that. But Erica says it was just too easy. And Riley's pissed that she went behind her back yet again. And Erica asked her to not be mad. But Riley says it's not about mad. They could go to jail. And Erica goes, we're too awesome for jail. (laughs) Erica was on... Another level. Erica really is on another level. And like just talking this through with another person, like I kind of feel like Erica's on one. And like I didn't even appreciate it earlier. Like I, I want to see Erica's home life. I want to know what the hell's going on over there. Yeah. Like it would have been nice to see what Erica's consequences were from all of this. Cause she, you know, is in just as much trouble as anyone. I mean, yeah. I just say, yeah. Well, no spoilers, but um, <laughs> She hands Riley a handful of cash and tells her that this is from last night. And Riley tells her she needs to stop flaunting cash around the public school, basically in the middle of the day. She's like, stop holding up fistfuls of cash, which is so true. Like, I think at school, if I remember, because this is like brought something back to me, I feel like you weren't allowed to like have money like that. Like, obviously, everyone was allowed to, like, carry their own money. But, like, I don't think you were allowed to have, like, an obscene amount of cash out like that ever. Like, that's that was on, like, a list somewhere. I went to a weird high school, so I'm not the one to ask. Like, our school actively encouraged our parents to buy us cell phones. Yeah. I mean, you're a little younger than me, too. So I don't, like, things might have changed after 9-11 significantly. But I will say that... My school was the kind of school that if you had like your period, you didn't want to let it be known that you had Tylenol. Oh, no. Yeah. See, I went to a charter school. So like it was a weird mix of like kids from Orange County who were like, you know, average. And then like kids from like Arrowhead and Bel Air whose parents were billionaires. Oh, so it was a really weird mix of kids and we got away. Like there was no dress code. Like I said, they encouraged us to all have cell phones. Cause like some kids lived three hours away. So like, right. You couldn't have every kid. So we were a really weird school. Yeah. No, you weren't allowed to have Tylenol. That was like a big thing. Like I remember if I had my period, I would like tuck to a leave in my pocket and like, just pray to God that like my pocket didn't get turned inside out throughout the day. It I had like a, a special thing. note to be able to carry my Adderall, but like I was allowed to carry it on me. Yeah. If you had like a special thing, you could definitely have a note, but it was always like, they very much checked your note. It was weird. It was weird. You know, Lexington, yeah. Massachusetts. Stephanie comes up to them in her wheelchair and thanks Erica for the necklace that she got her. And Erica tells her that she looks great. And then Stephanie wheels off and Riley's like, you got her a necklace. And she goes, what, what am I supposed to get her a hair clip? I was <laughs> feeling flushed. and I want to do something nice. Sue me. 
And Riley is like, listen, stop it with the currency exchange, the expensive gifts. Like, basically, she does. She has a hole in her pocket, Miss Erica. I wanted a scene of like Erica in a trailer. Like, she is excited by money for or, like very like Feruza Balk in the craft. Where yeah. it's like money is important to her in a different way. It's important to you, Riley. Like, well, one thing that I thought was interesting is that like Erica and Riley have been friends since third grade when it seems like Riley's life didn't really get upturned until she was in middle school. So like either Erica's parents are very chill and sort of down with the cause or they're very tuned out because I would think like there's always sort of a judgment when like your in a different like class stratosphere than the rest of your classmates. And Riley's from like, you know, she doesn't know her dad. Her mom had addiction issues. She wound up living with her sister when she was, you know, when she was 12, her mom basically had her kid taken away. And like, that's something that I think a lot of parents don't necessarily like, unfortunately they like hold against the child and you're yeah. like less likely to have like really great friends and a, a super crazy social life. And these two have been best friends for a really long time. So either Erica's parents are like great and permissive or they're a mess too. Yeah. And also like the house she has with aunt Karen is a, is a nice house. Like, so even if like her life was upturned by her mom, her circumstances now you know, pre Uncle Dale dying were nice enough. No, the optics of the town are definitely like upper middle class. And so it seems like Riley's almost like a sore thumb in that way. And like would be easy for like a really strict parent or a really snobby parent to like shit on her. Yeah. So Erica, hit us up, girl. Fictional character, call us. <laughs> so Riley meets Oliver in the empty theater. Because he asked to talk to her and um, he's like, are you OK? You didn't answer your phone last night. And she's like, I'm sorry, I was working. And he asked her to clarify what she meant by working, you know, and she tells him to hurry up because she has to go meet up with Erica. Basically, he is having a lot of doubts about this whole counterfeit yeah. money thing. And he wants to know if she knows what she's getting herself into. And she tells him that she made three grand in the last week. And I mean, listen, as a teenager, listen, you're like, how's it going? I made three grand, bitch, like pretty fucking well. But for them printing like 90 grand, she's only made three grand in profit. That feels insane. Well, I think that it might be an issue of them not counting the money that hasn't been laundered yet. Oh, yeah. Like, but especially if they're doing laundering mostly through the clothing, like that 75% discount is really eating into your profits. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is free money, but they should be. I'm, I'm telling you, I think 60 is more fair because that way, like if if they take 60% off that way, they're at least getting a little something for the manpower they're putting in. Yeah. I don't know. If I could if I could do one thing differently in this movie, it would be adjusting that percentage. So he tells her she's way too smart for this. And she knows what you know. I'm like, I whatever I could. This this can happen. Like, you know, Erica and I, we could could get in trouble. She's being very stubborn about it. She doesn't really care. 
And she asks him if he trusts her. And he's like, of course. But he wants to promise, you know, he wants a promise that if anything goes wrong, she'll turn around and never look back. And she agrees. They have a, a nice little kiss. I mean, Oliver really is taking her word for it. He's not happy about it, but I do like that. He's not like, if you don't stop doing this, I'm going to dump you. Yeah. For as like, he seems so accepting of it when they first tell him, he's like, Oh, you're laundering money. It's wild. And then he's immediately, he's concerned only because it's affecting Riley, like not necessarily because of how illegal it is. Yeah. I think Oliver's a feminist because he fully says like (laughs) when they're at the mall talking about it, And they're like, yeah, we're laundering money. Oliver's like, oh, that's cool, I guess. And they're waiting for some pushback. And he's like, you're my girlfriend. I'm supposed to support you, right? Like, he's like, (laughs) he's just out here. Like, she's like basically the high school Coke dealer at this point. (laughs) And he's like the 14 year old freshman that's dating. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, they have this sort of dynamic going on in their relationship that I really appreciate. So at home that night, Riley's looking for a gift for Oliver. For all of this, I guess, for putting up with all of it. And she finds a Tangerine Vector album that he'll love. So this is actually probably the scariest part of the movie to me. Oh, for real. And also completely unrelated to the counterfeiting. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This is like almost a. This was like a very much here nor there. It was a classic Mother May Sleep with podcast here nor there because it was like. I guess this was required for her to like understand the stakes a little bit more, but really honestly, all this was, was she had a little extra cash for a record. She wanted to do something nice for her boyfriend who is being accepting of the fact that she's counterfeiting money. And she happened to walk into a bad situation, but like, it's not the money that put her in this situation. No. And like, I mean, the money being fake is what makes it, worse but it's bad before money's even on the table yeah like this isn't even like um you know like let's say this was like alcohol let's go to um our favorite movie uh party party never Never stops Stops, okay this isn't like a dui where she like kills someone this isn't like you know vehicular manslaughter this this is her walking to the party and getting attacked by someone yes it has like nothing to do with anything like it's it's not even a lesson and it kind of it's it's scary it's enough to scare her but like if anything it should just scare her about men online shopping (laughs) right so um she decides to go to this like car shop where she's buying this vintage vinyl from this guy and it's a very dingy place. And the guy working there is just like an absolute loaf of a man. Like he looks like Doritos. Like he looks like this man looks, was bottle fed Mountain Dew. Yeah. He smells like beer. Like he definitely. Yeah. He sweats fireball. Like he's definitely that guy. And um, she tells him that she's there for the album and he brings her to the back of the shop where he keeps them. And she's looking around and like she definitely has a sense that this is unsafe. But personally speaking, I feel unsafe anytime I get into like an environment around cars anyway. Yeah. 
Like I really have no business in an auto body shop. And if I were to wind up in one, even if it was the best intentions, I don't even like going to a pet boys to get my tires filled or whatever, or my oil changed and feel confident about it. I I never feel confident in those places. Terrifying thing happened to me like a month ago. I like was leaving work. I was driving home and all of a sudden, like a light came on in my car that I had never seen before. I didn't know what it meant. And so I pulled over to the side of the road to be like, what's up with my car? I literally was not pulled over for 10 seconds before a tow truck pulled up behind me and or he mm-hmm. didn't pull up behind me. He pulled up in front of me and like backed into me. And right. I was like, what the hell? And I felt like, oh, he's like meaning to tow someone down the street and he thinks I'm them. And he just walks up to my window and he's like, what's wrong with your car? I'm like, I, I don't know. And he's like, well, can I help you? And like, I don't know why it creeped me out so much, but like my, my car wasn't even off and he was pulling over. Right. And like, obviously, there are guys that just like see vulnerable women and they're like dads or brothers or just caring people and they pull over. And because of, you know, like sort of the stigma of approaching a woman alone in a vehicle, the stigma that comes with that, that you and it was wear. The fact that he backed into my car. It was like it wasn't just like, oh, let me pull over, too. It was like he was ready to hitch my car up. I'm like, Mm-mm. right. Oh, my- Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, it's a vulnerable position to be in. Right. And so she's like in this place. I'm glad you made it though. Is your, is your car light? Okay. Oh yeah. It was, it was something like my, like, uh, like skid steering had turned on because I was like taking an on-ramp too fast or something stupid. And I was like, the light turned on that looked like this. He's like, yeah, that's your automatic steering. You're fine. I'm like, Oh, thank you. And he's like, yep. Bye. And he just left me alone. He was totally like fine, but it like, it shook that shook me up more than my car being messed up. I'm like a dumbass that didn't know cars had computers in them until like (laughs) I like honestly, it took me like getting a Mini Cooper first, like the guy saying in the dealership, this is like my previous Mini Cooper. He was like, oh, and the computer in it, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what do you mean there's a computer in my car? Like I got my license at 25 and I've already had four cars like I'm me and cars don't get along. Yeah. And so I I like was always getting lights in that first Mini Cooper. And like, I guess the computer just like blew or something. And that's why eventually I wound up like trading it in. And then my license has been expired for the last like year and a half. Like I'm such a loser. Like I did drive illegally on my license several times (laughs) during this quarantine. Um, But yeah, like I, uh, I don't really like, I'm not, I'm just not comfortable around vehicles. I'll be honest. I don't know what I'm doing in a place like that. My friends are always the one who are like, let's rent a car and drive to Vegas. I'm like, I'm going to flip a car in the desert and die. Like, let's Why just rent fly. a car like a like a fancy one. Like, no, just for the sake of like saving money. And like, we all drive like sedan. So like, like pick a big like SUV. So all of us can jam in. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Like, which we did it one time for like a friend's birthday. But like anytime we're going to Vegas, they're like, let's rent a car. I'm like, we are all adults with full time jobs. Let's get a seventy five dollar plane ticket. It's so easy. How does that even work? Like, don't they at a certain point, like isn't Vegas just far away enough that they will track you for that? It's too many miles to do. No, because if you like go to an airport to rent your car, they don't give a shit about mileage. Oh, okay. Okay. So we'll go to like those teeny little like Long Beach airport, like those because that's like down where we work. I and then do you just, enjoy the Long Beach airport. 
when they when JetBlue left that airport, I was so sad. That was it my was favorite devastating. airport to fly out of. That was devastation because like Burbank is my king. Like I fucking love the Bob Hope Airport. It's my favorite. Mm-hmm. But I was in a love affair with the Long Beach Airport for a very long time. And the restaurants alone. I I didn't see I didn't even know that there was restaurants there like I was always there you get through the line in 20 minutes I think maybe I remember like having a beer or something there but I feel like I for the most part all I remember is just TSA being like five minutes like literally five seconds five minutes. so fast um and and just being so happy like I couldn't and also I think mostly back then especially I was so panicked because anytime I was at the Long Beach airport, that meant that my stepdad had booked the ticket for me and um, with like his miles from work or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was usually bringing weed home and I was so paralyzed with fear about the fact that I had weed on my person that (laughs) I think I blacked out whatever happened in that airport. I'm going to tell the worst story and not name my friend. She was coming to the airport with like weed Jolly Ranchers And she like didn't realize they were in her bag until she was in her Uber. And she's like, I don't want to throw them out at the airport because then they'll know. Right. So she just put her weed candy in the Uber's candy bowl. Oh, that's great. Actually, you're a monster. (laughs) They they won't care about that. Like they okay. I shouldn't be saying this. You guys don't don't take me to court over this. You didn't hear this here. I've heard from people that like airport dogs are trained to smell like one thing or another. Yeah. And it's like bombs or specific types of drugs. Like maybe yeah, the dog not a catch-all does- dog. Yeah. They, don't, they maybe do like cocaine and weed, but like let's in terms of like training dogs to do stuff, who are you going to bring to the airport? Yeah. The and they're not going to sniff out Jolly Ranchers. Right. I feel like you're fine most of the time with weed at the airport is all I'm saying. But no, instead she dosed some poor stranger and the next person who got in that Uber. I'm like, why didn't you just throw them away? She's like, what if they go through the trash and track it back to me? I'm like, they don't care that much. Well, the good news is about that is that I've never had a weed anything that didn't taste like weed so whoever put that in their mouth like almost immediately knew unless it was like a a mormon person or a person that was sober i really think that they'll be fine um those are the only people i feel bad for mormons and sobers but um, (laughs) uh, oh and children yes of course (laughs) but you know if you got a kid in an uber at a certain point what the hell's going on there you know what i mean fair yeah that said um yeah, I, I've seen like, you know, now with weed being legal in so many places, there's like full blown weed restaurants that exist. And yeah. I saw this girl on my favorite app, TikTok. And, and and by the way, I know I reference TikTok too much. You guys, I have no fucking life. I've been in quarantine <laughs> for a year. Like this is my access. This is my window to the world. OK, so, yes, I'm, I go on TikTok and I see things I wouldn't have ever seen. And I reference it all the time. So this girl's like, oh, I'm eating like this THC infused dinner. And she had like THC tater tots and like THC grilled cheese and tomato soup and like you know, desserts and all this stuff. And all I could think was like, girl, it's not worth it. Like she's like, oh, these tater tots have 10 milligrams of THC in them. And I'm like, you want to choke down 
20 tater tots that taste vaguely of weed like to get a minor buzz. I don't like to do the brownies. I'm like, why would I want to eat a piece of cake to like get high? Like I'll take a mint, a chocolate, a Jolly Rancher is fine because that's just like, okay, I'm sucking on this for 30 minutes and then, you know, I'll see you in an hour sort of thing. I'll do the gummies, but yeah, the gummies are great. No, the meals. I'm like, girl, you just bought like the most expensive, least delicious meal ever. Um, that I don't. And until we find a way to totally disguise the taste of weed for me, you're not going to see me there. I'm not going to be at that store. No. And also, even if they do disguise the taste, they're then still thirty dollar tater tots. There's that. You could just as easily get six dollar tater tots and smoke a blunt. Like, I would rather have it be like, we're going to give you a weed gummy and then we're going to sell you independently of that delicious tater tots, because once the gummy hits, then I'll want the tater tots. But I'll be honest with you, I'm not going to sober scarf down 20 tater tots. You're just never going to see it Um, anyway. So he uh we're doing this uh, right now. We are at the album thing. So this guy wants the cash first before he's going to give her the record. And he asked her if this is the kind of music she's into. And she's like, oh, it's for my boyfriend. And he goes, lucky guy. And it, in that gross way that older men talk to young girls. Mm-hmm. And she's smart enough to realize how inappropriate this was. Whereas I would have been like, oh, that was weird that he said that. Like, I wouldn't have even put together that I was being perved on. So she says that she heard it's a collector's item and wants to know where he got it. And he goes, Tower Records. Um, So she turns around to leave and he grabs her arm and he's like, where are you going? And she's like, I got to get to school. And he asked her if her mom knows that she meets random dudes in chop shops. And he won't tell if she won't. And she rustles away from him. She's like, you prick. So he's like, I guess I deserve that. And he bends down to pick up the money she dropped. She paid $200 for this vinyl, by the way. Yeah. Um, and he bends down to pick up this money and he looks at it and sees that the ink on it is smudged, which seems like an anomaly. Like, I think her money generally is pretty good shit. I wondered if because it was like dropped in a sh- like a, a shop, like something on the chemicals on the floor or something screwed it up. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, I definitely I definitely didn't think when I first saw it, I had to like go back a couple times to really see it. It did look like just like a green smudge, but not to an extent that if someone passed me that money, I would think it was counterfeit. I'd be like, oh, there's like a weird green ink stain on this. Yeah, like a Sharpie blood through their pocket or something. Yeah. So um he sees a smudge and he starts flipping out and he chases her, you know, out of the back part of the shop. And she climbs into an old car to get away from him. And he tries to like reach for her, but she kicks him away. And then she gets out the other side of the car and she uses the dolly to glide under a bunch of cars and out the door. And it's such an unnecessary hijinks moment that I, I have to say, I appreciate it. You could tell that this script was getting a little bit dull, They were like, we got to put in a scene with some hijinks and some action. Got to spice it up. And so they had her go through a series of broken cars and then get on a dolly and glide under. Like the garage didn't even seem that big. No. And then also the guy is like a video game character. Like once she cleared the door, he's like, I guess she got away. Like he's done. Right. (laughs) So, um, you know, it could be also that like, 
he's been caught one too many times chasing young girls down the street <laughs> outside the chop shop. Like he's like, I can't do this again. So uh, she gets to the park with the vinyl and she notices that she has this huge cut on her thigh. Um, I am surprised she didn't go to the doctor for this. And no. it went through her jeans. Her jeans are ripped and she checks for the record. But it's just like a fractured piece of vinyl inside. I couldn't tell if she broke it or if he sold her a bunk record. I want to believe that he sold her a bunk record and then had the audacity to be mad at her about counterfeit money. Yeah. Like, maybe she broke it, but it only was that one little sliver. And it seemed like it was from a side that probably would have fallen out. Yeah, like if she was running with a broken, like, yeah, I think he just sold her a bunk record. Here's hoping. So Erica comes to pick up Riley. She comes to the rescue and she asks her if she's okay. And she tells her to not let her aunt see that gash on her hip or she'll have an aneurysm. Which, as someone who rides her bike to and from school, could have totally been like, oh, I slipped off my bike and I gouged myself. That's a great point. That's a great point. Like it was it was like this whole thing where later we're going to have to like deal with her coming up with a lie when like she has a great lie that she rides to school every day, which is that she's on a bike in the elements in British Columbia. Like, you know, yeah, um, I got worse injuries. So Riley's like, you know, I could have been killed by that guy. And Erica tells her that next time she needs to bring backup if she arranges to meet some jerk on the Internet for some stolen property. So she opens up her glove box and shows Riley a big taser. It's 50 volts. And Riley's like, okay, so now we're officially criminals. And Erica's like, yeah, just like Thelma and Louise. And Riley points out that that movie ended with them driving off a cliff. But Erica's like, yeah, but they died doing what they love. See you tomorrow, partner. (laughs) Which is like, now that I'm really starting to appreciate Erica, I like that. I like that this is a a reference for her. Previously, I was like, oh, you guys just don't know. You're just too young. You don't understand the stakes. But now that I view Erica as the type of person that says I'm too awesome to go to jail and like means it, it takes on a new meaning. And also someone her age who has seen Thelma and Louise. Right. Oh, my God. I saw Thelma and Louise when I was seven. Like my friend Caitlin and I were home from school and we were like, oh, no, maybe I was like nine. We were home from school and um, I was like, oh, what's this movie? And we put it on and I knew Gina Davis um, from not just like League of Their Own, but I loved a movie that she was in called Hero. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. I didn't even know Susan Sarandon. I was like that young. And so um, we watched it and like we were just like an eight, nine year old girl like killing Thelma and Louise on a, on a <laughs> Wednesday afternoon when we had school off. And I remember my mom came home and I'm like, we watched the best movie Thelma and Louise. And um, I think my mom was like proud of me, but that was very <laughs> formative to like my young womanhood experience. I remember like that being like the first like grown ass adult movie that I put on by myself with a friend and we thoroughly enjoyed it and felt like we understood it and were moved by it. 
I had an older cousin who was always like, you haven't seen blank. You have to watch blank. Like just, you know, she was like 10, 15 years older than me. Right. And she would always like forget that movies would take a turn. So like she had me watch Forrest Gump when I was eight and then was like, oh, shoot. I forgot about Jenny playing the guitar naked. And I just remember <laughs> she had me watch like fried green tomatoes in fourth grade. She's like, that was a bad call. That was a really bad call. So I think I was probably like I watched Thelma and Louise at that age because of that cousin. Yeah, I was like scared of E.T., but like definitely was always watching R-rated movies because like I think when you're the only kid, no one really cares. Like they're like, oh, she'll she'll figure it out. (laughs) Yeah, like we we were the closest in age in our family and we were 15 years apart. So like whatever she wanted to do, I wanted to do. But like we weren't like close enough in age that we really should have been doing the same things. Yeah. Um, but like I I wanted to do all that she wanted to do. So I just she was like, your mentor. On. She very much was. And like she loved to do my hair and she loved to like like I was her little doll. So I oh was my God. enthralled by it. <laughs> I would have loved that. A cool teenager. Um, so she eats dinner with Karen that night. Riley and Karen are eating dinner and she's talking about how, you know, she's been working for a week and she hasn't said anything about her new job. And Riley's like, Yeah, it's great. Um I'm not working with Erica, though. She's on a completely different shift. So I guess Erica also works at Fong's Market. Which is how she, like, put in the good word for Riley. Yeah, but it almost, to me, I was I almost felt like Erica must have lived next door to the Fong's or something. Like, I didn't think Erica was also working there. No, I mean, maybe they both just made it up as, like, a good cover. Like, well, she won't go to that grocery store because it's across town. Liars, Yeah. So Karen says that, you know, at Riley's age, she was stacking the shelves at Home Depot, but she never worked at a grocery store. And Riley's like, you know what? I'd rather not talk about work. And Karen says, you know, if you want to hear something crazy, I checked my credit card score today and or my credit card balance today. Sorry, one more time. I'm going to retake that. Um. Karen says that when she was Riley's age, she was stocking the shelves at Home Depot, but she never worked at a grocery store. And Riley says that she'd rather not talk about work. And Karen offers this. Uh, She checked her credit card balance today and it was zero. Nada. It must have been a computer glitch. She's going to have to go to the bank tomorrow to clear it up. And, you know, Karen thinks it's funny, like she's in deep credit card debt. So like how crazy that she's at a zero balance. And Riley's like, well, are you serious? And Karen's like, yeah, of course I'm serious. I have to say something. And Riley's like, why? The bank can afford it. And Karen's like kind of appalled by this. And she's like, listen, okay, the same computer glitch could wipe out some grandmother's life savings. It's dishonest. Uncle Dale would have never taken that money and neither will I. And Riley asks if it means that it's okay if they lose their house. And Karen's like, listen, things have been difficult, but we're not going to lose the house. It's not that bad. And Riley says that Karen wouldn't tell her if they were. And they just sort of look at each other for a moment. And Riley asks if she can go upstairs. And, you know, this is like, these next couple scenes are really like uncomfortable because the thing is, is that it's very obvious in that moment that they were having at the kitchen table that Riley doesn't like they're having a disconnect that I feel like is a very normal disconnect that you sort of start to have at certain parts in your teen years with your parents where you're like, yeah, well, like you wouldn't be honest about that anyway. And like, I understand why, but like you wouldn't be honest about that anyway. But like, they're really not mother and daughter. No. So Riley can't 
Riley's not experiencing that foreign thing you experience with your when with your parents naturally, where you're sort of like growing up and have more awareness than you ever have. And you're like, you know, but at the end of the day, I guess this is my mom. So it can't be that crazy. Right. Like she really doesn't she doesn't have that perspective. So Karen catches Riley limping up the stairs to her room and she's like, are you okay?" And Riley doesn't answer her. And Karen, like, sounds really concerned. So when she's up in her bathroom a moment later, Karen comes into her room and she asks Riley if she can come in the bathroom that's like attached to her room, which like baller. Hello. Um, And Riley's like, no, I'm fine. And Karen decides she's going to go in anyway. So she sees the gash on Riley's hip and she's completely horrified. Rightfully so. I mean, this could have used an alcohol swab by now. It's a deep gash. It is. And like, it looks dirty. That's the worst part. So she's like, how did this happen? And she said that she fell in an art class and hit a printing press. It was just stupid. She didn't want to freak her out. Karen thinks that you need to go to a clinic or something. But Riley says that it's not that big of a deal. And Karen says she can't go to work like that. She'll call her boss. And Riley tells her if she's being dramatic. She's not her mother. And she starts to stomp off. And Karen calls after her, asking her what's going on lately. And Riley and like if she'd if she'd gotten an injury related to making the money, like if she'd burned herself with the acid or like like something that like you couldn't have gotten this unless you were up to no good. I could see her being so secretive about the injury, but literally a scrape on your hip is the most innocuous thing. Oh, it couldn't be more like common. No, not it's it's um, that that happens to me just moving about the world every day. I have so many like little nicks and scrapes on me all the time just from random shit. So, yeah, she definitely was. um, She's not a liar. Riley's not good at this shit. So, no, that night she's in her bed having this nightmare. That's like, (laughs) I don't know. It's kind of like a a literal nightmare, but also like a little (laughs) bit of a mess. Like, I wish that there had been more of a narrative here, but money is falling from the sky. And then like the acid they use to make the money is sort of surrounding like there's like clips of it that feel like she's almost like in a pool of it or next to a pool of it. And then you see the guy from the chop shop is climbing toward her, like almost out of the acid. Um, And it's, you know, it's intense and she snaps awake. So she gets to class right as the bell is ringing the next day. And the teacher says that he needs to make an announcement. Stephanie Summers died last night in the hospital. She succumbed to her cancer and he was sure that she was brave till the end, which shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who was lucky enough to call her a friend. And he knows that everyone is shocked. And if anyone needs to talk, they can come to him or the school counselor. Her parents are setting up a memorial fund in her name, and they encourage everyone to give whatever they can to help fight this terrible disease. I did not expect that yet. No, as soon as as soon as you drop the cancer kid in the movie, you're like, well, something's happening to her. But it comes out of left field. Well, that was the part at first where I was like, oh, this feels a little Degrassi to me because I was like, this is just it feels like they're just sort of integrating a character who might have cancer into the plot. But then like the more I've watched this movie, like probably two and a half times now, and it never stops hitting me how quickly that happens in the movie. And see like Erica being randomly nice to her. Like I fully expected Erica to be like, wow. um, You know, I got Stephanie to buy $300 worth of stuff and Riley to be like, wow, you sold to her. But like 
everyone was super nice to her for no reason, which meant she was doomed. Steph was in remish, though, so she must have had some sort of like other illness that popped up and she just wasn't well enough. But yeah, I mean, even if you're in remission, your immune system can be trash. Yeah. I, I did think it was interesting. The teacher said she died in hospital. Which Canadian. Is, yeah. Is that how they say that there? Yeah, because that's that's also a British thing to do is like she died in hospital. Like, yeah, I, I'm kind of like blown away at how much Canada like was not sanitized from this movie. They're usually better about it. Yeah, I I feel like this truly was a Canadian joint and they weren't even trying to hide it. Yeah, you didn't get a, a surrey or a boot, but like you usually just get the slip ups of the actors talking. But like this one felt like between the like the Secret Service and in hospital. Yeah, like they weren't trying to make there's it American. Few, there's a few things. So um, Erica's walking through the hallways and she passes Tim's classroom. This is. A bone chilling scene. 36, 32 to 37, 47. Hey, Erica. You have a minute to chat? Sure. Of course, Mr. Sylvester. I know what you and Riley have been up to in my classroom after hours. I don't know what you're talking about. What are you doing? What am I doing? Well, I am not running a counterfeiting operation in a public school, for one thing. What do you want? Okay, so for someone who's very confident around this like older man, you def get big verge vibes from Erica in this scene. She gets smacked with the reality of having a crush on a teacher and then having any of that attention reciprocated. She's immediately uncomfortable. Yeah, like he is a little too. I mean, even if this was like a bar setting, this would be very. This would be like aggressive. Yeah. Like the bartender would be watching out for you. Like if this guy was talking to you in a bar, like he's very like up in her face. He's also like mixing this thing of like, I'm blackmailing you, but also I'm going to have sex with you. Like he's really playing all angles here. Yeah. And like just when he, he like blocks her in, like with his like leg up on the desk, I'm like, oh, like bone chilling. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, things are going to change a little bit like, you know, Erica's going to warm up to this. But I definitely don't think I realized until this last pass how virginal she comes across in this scene. Like she her body language really changes instantly from what she had coming into the room, which was a lot of confidence. And it's kind of crazy to think that this teacher 
feels comfortable trying to get away with this. Like, I don't understand like the teacher student thing that goes on Mm-mm. because it happens an awful lot. And a lot of it happens in classrooms. And maybe I just, you know, went to schools with little windows in the doors. Um, but there was like no way that would have happened in a classroom that I can think of. Like, Are, yeah, this is middle of the day. Yeah. And like not a door locked behind you, not a anything. Mm-mm. And my school was weird because uh, like if you weren't if you weren't an academic teacher, like if you were just like a PE or a dance teacher, you didn't have to have a college degree. So a lot of students who went to the school, like while they were still in college, would come back to teach. Uh-huh. So like someone you had class with would be your teacher the next year. So you felt this thing of like, oh, well, they're not a teacher. They're a friend. Yeah. And so that got blurred a lot. And they kind of got pissed at people who would like you can't hang out with your students outside of school. It's like I'm 19. They're not my student. Like I teach them tap. Like, come on. Right. Especially at that age difference. Like you guys are probably partying at and house parties together. Like, exactly. what are the odds you're not, right? But, like, and here, like, okay, this is what I have to ask, I guess. This is a roundabout way of asking this for me. Is that why they have the little windows in classrooms <laughs> on the doors? Do I you think? honestly think so, because you don't, I mean, the only rooms that don't have that, because even, like, su- supply closets had them at our school. I think it was, like, bathrooms didn't have that little window, but... Yeah, like I remember like thinking when I was growing up, oh, that was like what the principal would look through to make sure we were all behaving. Like when I was very young, I think that's what they told us. Like the principal might come by, look through the window, make sure everyone's on their best behavior. Um, I think that's how they like tricked us into behaving in elementary school. So you wouldn't like wild out on the teacher. But in high school, they must have that to make sure that there's always some level of literal transparency i mean at our school whenever this is so dark whenever a school shooting would happen like in the world not at our school nothing ever happened at our school like teachers would put like paper over those windows like they don't need to know who's in what classrooms that was another thing like some teachers would cover them with like decorative paper so it must not have been for that reason because if it was like oh legally that has to be open to make sure you're not like boning a student or like bribing them or blackmailing them for counterfeit money like (laughs) yeah that's um guys if you're a teacher let us know why are those little windows there is it a fire safety thing or something weird and i'm not talking about like now because i have a feeling why i know why those things exist now um all of that shit has been updated since i was in school but um i was like yeah columbine happened my freshman year so like School shootings were relatively new. School shootings had just dropped um, when I was in high school. But yeah, they um, I I've always wondered, like, why do they have those little windows? Let me know if you taught in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Let me know. So um, I'm a little confused on like what he wants from her. So there's that. Riley and Oliver are later talking in the library and she asks him what, you know, what he thinks she should do. And he says that he told her last week, if anything goes wrong, get out quick. And she says it's not that easy. And he's like, yeah, it is. Stop printing money and go back to being the hottest girl in the 12th grade. (laughs) 
And I actually like love that attitude. Like she gets a little bit offended by that. And I'm like, that's actually a really nice compliment. Like he could be into Missy. He could be into um, our girl Erica over here. Who's this like sex pot? Like he thinks you're the hottest girl in school. He's looking the other way on your counterfeit money thing. Like (laughs) this guy's obsessed with you. Oliver's a great guy. Um, so he's like, what's the real issue? Is this about Stephanie? And she's like, no, I love that. He thinks it's about Stephanie. In what way could it be about Stephanie? Like I'm going to counterfeit in her honor. Like <laughs> It's giving her way too much credit. <laughs> like he's like, oh, are you going to stop counterfeiting? Cause Stephanie died of cancer in hospital. Like, fuck like literally like it's so cute honestly i hate to give a man this much credit but it's so cute and she's like no it's about erica obviously this is so much more than making money and making ends meet for her okay this is like a crusade she compared this to like thelma and louise and oliver goes they drove off a cliff at the end of that movie and she's like i know so I thought that was kind of cute, too, that, like, we're getting a little bit of a film buff out of him as well. Like, <laughs> what business does Oliver have watching Thelma and Louise? Yeah, but also that Riley's very much like Erica is perfectly happy to die young and leave a pretty corpse. And I'm like, that tracks. Yeah, that's the best part. So she goes um, she goes on to say that, like, you know, Erica just told her to buy a taser. Um, you know, he's like, well, you're the one who prints the money. So just stop. And Riley says that Erica doesn't care if she gets caught. It's whatever happens, happens for her. She'd be happy to leave a beautiful corpse behind Oliver. Like when she said that Oliver was like, oh, like he wasn't ready for all of that. Right. No. He's like, Well, whatever you choose, I'll support you. So Karen makes a phone call to Fong's when she's getting out of the car. She has to speak to the manager. I did chuckle that a Karen was calling to speak to the manager. And she introduces herself as Riley's guardian and wants to make sure that Riley asked about getting some time off that week. And they've never heard of Riley. And Karen tries to clarify like a couple times, but they keep saying that they don't know Riley. So she's like, fuck. Um, Can I point something out that's like kind of like, I want I like want to say this delicately because I feel like any woman would get this. Yes. Okay. So I feel like because I have melasma, which is like when you're out in the sun for too long, like certain portions of your skin will get darker in the sun. And it's it's like a hormonal thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm constantly doused in sunscreen. But like if I'm not attentive to it, sometimes parts of my face will turn darker. And I think that this actress might have melasma like on her upper lip. Oh, my God. I fully wrote it down in my notes, too, because it, <laughs> it, it, it like bummed me out because like that's fine. Like in the real world, like that's a normal thing, especially if you've had kids like you probably have melasma. But it's like hormone imbalance 101. Right. Like, it's, yeah. It's very common. And I just wish that the makeup department had like helped her with that. Yeah, at all. Like, and it, I like, and it's because they have her walk into natural light for the first time in the movie. She's been like indoors this whole time. And it's like, as soon as she hits the sun, you could see it. Yeah. And, I was, like, and it no one caught out. that. I hate to even say it because it feels like it does feel like a woman's issue. Like, honestly, I hate to say it, but because it's a woman's issue, I feel like I also have to acknowledge that that's kind of fucked up that they didn't do some color correction there and help her out. And like, that's such an easy thing to do. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's not like, like full bruises that get taken out of people, you know, like all yeah, the time. It's not like eczema where it's like a texture issue. It was just a tone. Yeah, it bummed me out. It bummed me out for the actress because like I feel like, you know, there's people that embrace that about themselves. There's people that, you know, do their best to cover it up. There's people that don't care either way. Um, and I just feel like I didn't get that from the character and it almost was like distracting in a couple scenes and like kind of a disservice to someone I think is the hero of this movie. Um, and just like felt like maybe they were only used to doing makeup on like teenage girls or something, but when you're dealing with 20 year olds playing teenage girls. (laughs) Yeah. But like when you're dealing with like adult women, like you're going to come into things like that it just felt like unfortunate and it also feels like it'd be something she has an awareness about especially as an actress yeah i will say like overall like the hair and makeup and stuff like that was pretty good in this movie there's like a moment with riley's extensions later but like yeah this was definitely like this was a makeup moment for me yeah and like when i when I used to do acting stuff here and there, I just went in going, no one's going to know how to mess with African-American hair. I'm I'm not even going to go in with the expectation. I went with my hair full done every time. Like, so like, if you know, you get a little bit of a stash, like even if you're not the one fixing it, you'd like point out to a makeup artist. Like, Hey, if we're shooting outside, we need to color correct this. Yeah. Cause the thing is like with melasma is it's not even like hair. It's not like a, a hairy stash that could be yeah. like, you know, it's like, it's literally like a, a skin tone change. So it's really something you have to address with makeup and they failed her. Um, If I felt like Karen was the kind of chick that was out there rocking it though, I wouldn't even make that note. No, but she's very like, put together heels and blazer. She seems like very like J crew core. Yes. So anyway, moving on from that, just a, just a note that I noticed. And also if you have melasma out there, what's up girl, I am melasma too. It's okay. So does, I have a couple of friends that have melasma. We're killing it. It's fine. It's just, you know, got to be mindful of that SPF. Okay. So we see Riley is walking down the hall, texting Erica that she needs to talk. It's a nine one one situation. So she gets a message back saying to meet her in Willow park in 10 minutes. And Riley gets on her bike, but she doesn't notice that Karen is parked outside the school watching her ready to trailer to her next location. Okay. She's like, I know you're not going to Fong's you little shit. Like <laughs> what's going on? So She sees Riley pull up to this park on her bike where Erica's waiting with her arms crossed. The body language from Erica is I wouldn't even go near her. No, she is uncomfortable. She has a bomb strapped to her chest. She is she is saying get away. Yeah, something's lying in wait. So um, she rolls up to her. Erica's just like pulled away enough that she's out of eyeline here, but she's definitely like, I mean, she tracked a teenager on her bike in a car, which like cannot be the easiest like following job without being noticed. Like if you're on suburban roads, let's play this clip. 4158 to 4404. What are we doing here anyways? I just wanted to talk. Riley Cartwright. I knew you were gifted. Printing funny money behind my back. I swear, I just came here to tell her that I'm out. (laughs) Stop. Someone with your skills? 
Sweetheart, if you stopped, it would be a crime of wasted potential. Okay, then what do you want? 50 grand. <laughs> That's a lot. Look, I don't care where the cash comes from so long as it's clean. So you figure out a way to make it happen, or I drop a dime in your little business venture and you can get your high school diploma in prison. Get away from them! You've got until Wednesday. See you in class. Are you okay? Yeah. Did he hurt you? No, he's just a weirdo. It happens. Erica, is that true? Yeah. Yeah, it was my bad. I made fun of his lame pickup line. Listen, I gotta go. I'll talk to you later. What is wrong with you? You obviously know that guy. And you lied to me about your job. Wait, what? When did I lie to you about my job? I called the store. They've never heard of you. Why won't you just tell me what's going on? Look, I'll see you at home. Riley, Riley, please don't shut me out like this. Okay. Now that I'm like watching it again for the third time, it's hitting me. <laughs> um, Riley's body language was really strange in that scene because like she didn't have any sort of like, I would have my hands up probably. Yeah. And, and she also, was like, just chill with her hands in her pockets. Karen does less than nothing and jumps up at, the useless the most useless time and then doesn't follow through with it right like if i saw that conversation i would not jump to like oh i need to get out and save these girls i'd be like oh riley's doing drugs and this is their drug dealer yeah and then if you are going to get out of the car and go charging towards them keep going <laughs> But like the logistics of like this is riley's art teacher that she knows her friend has a crush on and and he calls over his shoulders. See you in class. Like he's not right. hiding who he is. And like this guy comes out and he's like threatening to basically, you know, he's blackmailing them. He's like, you'll go to jail if you don't do this, which, by the way, I do wonder what his plan would have been if they were like, OK, fine. Like, we're not going to help you. Like he basically just stumbled upon a jackpot. Yeah. And I don't think he would have turn them in like this guy's clearly morally bankrupt like he was relying on the fact that they're children and would go with whatever he said but if this was like my art teacher that i thought i was cool with and all of a sudden he came out from behind a building and my own best friend had led me into this trap like i would not be standing there with my hands in my pockets like i'd be like taking a few steps back like not hands over my head, but definitely my wrists flicked back. Like I'd yeah. be, you know, I'd be in a moment just trying to like understand that all of a sudden Mr. Sylvester is probably not going to give me the grade I deserve. Like he is not this <laughs> honest man. Right. So it's just a little like it's a little strange that it went that they that Riley so quickly acquiesced to this sort of situation like okay yeah I'm, i guess i'm in this now like i guess i'm being blackmailed now um 
she rebounded from that in a in a way that's like cooler than I think she is. So I will say um, <laughs> she yells. Karen yells after her. Please don't shut me out like this as she's riding away. And I love a please don't shut me out like this because that's something that people say in movies, but not really in real life. No, not in that way. But it's something that like writers go to. It's the same as I'd like that. Like when someone's like, I'll give you a call tomorrow. I'd like that. Like people don't talk like that in real life. They only talk like that in movies. And I'm sure people have said, please don't shut me out like this to like their boyfriend of four years. Who's all of a sudden, like, you know, you kind of broke up and you guys were inappropriately sort of like texting even after the breakup. And then you find out he's hooking up with someone and he doesn't text you back anymore. And you're like, please don't shut me out like this. But like <laughs> Even that, like, I'm trying to think of like a scenario in which one might organically say that. But in movies, that line gets thrown around a lot. It does that. And like, you're not the girl I thought you were or like, you're not the girl. <laughs> I. <laughs> it's things like that. Or like when people like repeat a sentence a second time for dramatic effect, like those are things that like it just never it never happens in real life. But we all have come to accept it about movies. And it's very strange. It is. It's, it's like in writing, like everyone always smirks all the time. Yeah. Oh, there's so much smirking. So I've been, much smirking. I've been deep in the fanfics these days. I'm loving some off the wall fanfics. That's like well, I'm spending some time in that area. Like if you just go to some of these fanfic websites and write in any name, you'll find some bizarre oh. shit that oh, Molly, someone I've out there has written deep about down someone. that hole since I was 12. <laughs> See, I never did that. Like I when I was of the age when that would have applied to my life, I never I was like, why would you read that? Like, that's not real. But like now I'm of the age where I'm like, I want to see what some fucking weirdos are writing about people. Like I found some great Logan Paul, Jake Paul incest fanfics <laughs> recently and I'm loving it. I'm loving the Jake Paul, Logan Paul incest fanfics. They are so funny. They're so fucking funny. Unintentionally, intentionally. They're just brilliant. I I wrote some horrific ones when I was like 14, 15. And I, I think I wrote one a couple years ago that I read and don't completely cringe on. But no, fanfic was my life. That was how I like got my my creative juices flowing. And by the way, that's not uncommon. That's like a huge thing that I've talked about with um, we have a podcast on the network called Downtown Writers Jam and the guy who hosts it, Brad King, he has all these great relationships with like big authors, like probably on your bedside table, big authors. And mm -hmm. he um, he was doing two interviews a week for like almost a year. And now he's scaling back to one, which I think is like a better schedule for him, if I'm being honest, like just in terms of people regularly tuning in. But one of our first discussions we had, I like brought up something about fan fiction and he was like, and this was before I even was in my weird reading fan fiction thing for fun. Just like, yeah, <laughs> typing in like Guy Fieri and like <laughs> fan fiction things and seeing what people have written. <laughs> like I was um, I mentioned it for some reason and he was like, oh, yeah. He was like, actually, Nicole, Nicole Matthew, coordinating producer for this podcast, um, they were part of a writer's club in Indiana and they hosted an event and they like 
reluctantly almost were like, yeah, let's do a fanfic night. And it turns out that it was like the unifier in the room, like all of these different people started out in fanfic. Yeah, like especially as a baby writer when like you can't fully realize a three-dimensional character and you're like, well, I'm going to take this fully realized three-dimensional character and drop them into my world. And so you're only doing like half the work, but you still get to like work that muscle. And like, you know, it's like it's a good way to kind of like stick your toes in and figure out how to write. And And it's also a great way to get feedback without it having your name on it. Right. Because, Like if it's fan fiction about a major celebrity, people are going to be seeking it out because they want to read more about their favorite celebrity. So like, you know, if you're writing a a Louis Tomlinson, Harry Styles fanfic, there's going to be people that are ready to eat that up. So they're going to be out there reading your writing and becoming a fan of you without your name attached. Whereas I feel like most people were sort of breaking their teeth on writing, especially in the blog world, especially when I was coming up, like you wrote from a personal narrative and like, we're sort of marketing your voice. And that's like, I think very much like influenced by the mommy blogger generation that came before me and all my Tumblr friends or like, you know, people outside of people that didn't really have a specific focus that more just wanted to generally write. Like I was a very like general writer. So I wrote about whatever was sort of going on in my life or sometimes I write about movies or sometimes I write about whatever. I didn't really have a focus. Like unless you have a focus, it's it's one way to have people read and interact with your writing for sure and write about something you're passionate about. And that's a great point that you have this fully realized character that you can, that you have, you know, you don't have to do the research. You don't have to do the internal work. Yeah. And like, you don't have to like write their backstory and find their motivation. Like it's all there for you. Like just plop the piece down into your puzzle and see how it fits. And it's also like, it also is funny because like these fanfics things, unless you're writing about like fictional characters, like it's a lot of projection about what you imagine a person is like. Like one of the ones I love reading, one of the ones, one of the categories I like reading is like Marshall Mathers and like Eminem fan fiction. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. (laughs) And like seeing the way that other people think Eminem talks when he's at home is so funny to me because like, that is like a window into like the projection that happens in these worlds because it's like some people just write him like he's a regular guy, like he's Marshall Mathers. And then some people are like have him writing like he's Slim Shady. And it's just really it's really funny to see how people sort of understand a character or a person. What do you mind if I ask? I don't want you to take us to your world because I'm sure that that's (laughs) stuff that you don't want to direct people to or maybe it is but um what was your area of expertise um I started out in Harry Potter because I think that's where I got introduced to it as I was there was like a Harry Potter fan club at my high school and they were like oh my god I read this fic I read that fic and I was like what's what's fic and they were like oh my god so like that was my like door they pushed me through um i wrote some gossip girl fan fiction because that was my like um session in high school like uh-huh. read all the books watched every episode bought light and meester's albums i believe in her um <laughs> <laughs> and then it kind of devolved into like i did a lot of greek mythology fanfic because it's okay. just like a fun area to play in and there's no rules and god this is embarrassing i like wrote 
no joke, 125 page like novel. And I'm like, well, it's Greek mythology. So like, it's not really fanfic. And I like showed it to a professor at my college. Like, (laughs) could this get published as a book? Because people write like Greek mythology novels all the time. Yeah. And like, it was 125 pages. I put serious work into that. And I just remember she was like, I hope you don't take this as an insult, but I think this book would be very commercially successful. And I, at the time I was like, why would that be an insult? Like, you just told me my book could make money. And now later, like, I'm like, Oh, I get what you mean, but thank you. Put that (laughs) shit up on Amazon. I'm not even kidding. Publish it under a pseudonym and see what happens because people buy that shit. Like the, the big one now is my Antifa lover. And like, there's some person who like banged out 150 pages of like, you know, fanfic about, uh, I don't know if it's a, 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 a if there's like a regular like a real person in it, but it's sort of like a little fantasy novel. Um, yeah. there's, Elijah Daniel did that with like a um, a Donald Trump fanfic that he wrote. That was like an erotic fan fiction he wrote about Donald Trump. And I think it was like a bestseller. Like you should just see if you can collect two ninety nine from whoever's willing to pay for that. And I just remember the most like awful part was I, of course, had like a normal human girl who had to experience all of this to be our narrator. And she's like, so that's you. Listen, like, it wasn't a question. It was just a fact. I'm like, yeah, it is. Because that's all the way I know how to write. I'm 19. Like, <laughs> listen, listen, there are a lot of people out there and I understand why. And it's because it's like it's viewed as like cheapening or cutting into their industry um, when like you know, it's it's a big thing that's common now is sort of writing your own children's book and having someone illustrated on Fiverr and putting it up on Amazon for one ninety nine and seeing how it sells. Right. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who go to school for this, who are very upset about people disrupting the st- uh, disrupting the space. Right. And yeah. the thing is, is that there will always be a traditional customer who goes to a bookstore and wants to buy, you know, books like that for their kids. And that's, you know, fine. Like that's always going to be a great thing. you got to support writers, especially writers who are, sort of trapped in a certain system and all, you know, like of wanting to be professionally published and wanting to go through all those hoops. But if you have a product that you feel confident about that you like, that you want to put out there, and if someone's willing to spend a dollar 99 on it, that doesn't mean that they're not going to also go buy Pat the bunny or whatever children's book you're writing that you think is revolutionary. I say flood the space. Why not? Like if it's if it gets bad reviews, it gets bad reviews and people that will trickle down. People won't buy it. But like there's nothing wrong with like publishing an ebook or publishing a children's book. Like I think that's fun. It's like the equivalent to like, you know, a like it's the it's the difference between like a movie you go spend, you know, you buy a ticket to go see Chucky and you're like, oh, that was Chucky. That was funny. Ha ha. And then it's and it's that where it's like you know, Harry Potter, where you go all in on the movie, the like the whole world, you're going at Harry Potter world, you're buying the merch, you're like engaging heavily with the franchise, right? Like those, if you're, if you're studying this, someone writing a children's book that's available on Kindle for $1.99 is not a detriment to your career. If anything, it's going to make people seek out higher quality work. If that work is so piss poor, It, it bums me out when, 
it's like the same attitude that people had when like internet people became as famous viable as celebrities yeah and it's like well look where we are now like <laughs> so many more people are so much more interested in like internet people than in like you know small people like whether it be youtubers or podcasters or bloggers or whatever you know like people are so many more people are just as interested in that than they are like you know, people that are backed by studios or in in touch magazine or people or whatever. Like, why are you protecting? Why are you protecting the magazine industry? Like, why are yeah. you protecting the gossip rag industry? Like, calm the fuck down. Here's a question for you, Chelsea, though. Mm-hmm. I love our age difference. I think you're the exact right age difference for me and a friend because I you're into a lot of the stuff that I barely missed. But like we're lumped into the same category as millennials, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. Like. I should have watched Gossip Girl, but I didn't. I should have read Harry Potter, but I didn't. I was just a little too old for that. But just this year during quarantine, I said, fuck it. I'm going to find out what Harry Potter house I'm in. (laughs) I took a quiz (laughs) because I was like, I'd like to know. Can you guess what Harry Potter house I'm in? I would put you in Ravenclaw. That's what I am, bitch. I'm a Ravenclaw. I know you. <laughs> it surprised me. It surprised me. Did you know that? Because I've said it. I don't think I've said it before. I don't. If you've said it, I haven't heard it. But no, you you fully read as a Ravenclaw to me. See, I would say like just not even like I would say like because I'm a Capricorn, maybe I'm a Slytherin, but I don't think I'm that. But I also don't know. Like I don't know that I don't know Harry Potter, so that would probably be the first step. <laughs> <laughs> But is there like a great character in Harry Potter that's even there's no like main bitch that's a Ravenclaw, right? I mean, the the girl that Harry dates from like the fourth book onward is a Ravenclaw. OK, so I'm like a B-side girlfriend. But yeah, any <laughs> main character is a Gryffindor good guy or a Slytherin bad guy like Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw are for B and C list characters. OK, Hufflepuff. That's what Ron was in, right? Ron was in Gryffindor with Harry. Oh, okay. Cute. Well, what house are you in? Slytherin, I would say. That's what Ariana Grande identifies as. I went to Wizard Rock concerts in college. I got deep into it for a while, and then I kind of surfaced and was like, oh, J.K. Rowling's a turf. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah, it's sad about that. You know, I didn't personally mourn that because, like, I don't, like, have a relationship with Harry Potter, but... I feel terrible for the people that it meant a lot to them because I know a lot of people are having a really difficult time personally reconciling that. And it's kind of like if you read To Catch a Mockingbird and then you found out that the author was a giant racist. It's just like... To Kill a Mockingbird, yeah. No, it's it's, it's, such a gut punch. Like, no, she can't be though. Like, but this book taught me how to be a good person. She can't be bad, like... Yeah, or like less destructively, like when we found out who Bill Cosby was, like that was like, oh, my God, like, are you kidding me? Like, who didn't grow up feeling like that was your dad? Like he was a safe space. You know, it's just um, that's that's a real disappointment. And I mourn that for you, like for your community. I feel that that's fucked up. Yeah, I just remember like when the Bill Cosby stuff was happening, I was like fighting really hard with my dad, who's black in case the audience doesn't know. Um, And he was just like, you don't understand. He set the standard for this and that and that and this. And I'm like, 
great still raped women like I was not like I, I was 19 and I was like fighting with my dad for the first time and I just remember like a week after that I said something and he just turned to me and said I think you're the biggest feminist that I know and I was like really like I was so proud of him and he's like you like would not back down on that and like you're right it is messed up I was like I changed my dad's mind about Bill Cosby like I was it's so hard. proud of myself it's hard you know because he really did like I think that he really changed I mean as a not black person I even feel and know like how palpable what he did for the black community was in America like yeah really crazy and um you know, it's in a, in a very different way. We've completely derailed, but in a very different <laughs> way, it's like um, a lot of people just can't let go of Michael Jackson. That one's a weird one, too, where it's like it did happen. It didn't. It absolutely. There is proof. Absolutely. Every kid who says that way were there that nothing ever happened. Like people are still arguing if it happened or not. It's so murky. Which feels wild to me. It's so murky because like. Yeah, I mean, like, it's so murky and like all signs point to yes and like believe victims or whatever else. But like at the same time, it's not definitive. There's no like definitive proof, I feel like, in the way there is with like Bill Cosby. Right. And then there's also the murky waters of like Michael was so fucked up himself. Like, obviously, what he did was wrong. That like, but like, could he help himself? Like he was so ruined. Yeah, he was a really uh, and, and it's it's. What's interesting is that you cannot write his name on Twitter the way that you feel like you can't about K-pop. Like, oh, you, yeah, you can't write Michael Jackson's name on Twitter without like so many people hitting you up. Like, even if it's not a negative reference, like they're in your mentions. Yeah, they they are searching the tag. They are just scanning for it all the time to respond. Anyway, that's so sad. Well, I'm glad we took that fun detour from this counterfeiting movie. Yeah. But you guys, fan fiction it up. It's a valid form of art. So Oliver and Riley talk in her room and he asks her if they can go to the cops. And she's like, no way. And Oliver thinks that there has to be something they can do because he's just an art teacher, not like Al Capone. And Riley says that there's something they they can do, which is get him $50,000. And Oliver says he won't stop at that. Like they need to do something before it's too late. And Riley says that he doesn't have to do anything. He's not a part of this. And he's like, I'm involved. I'm your boyfriend. And she's like, well, then maybe right now you should take a step back. And he's like completely shocked by this. He doesn't want to leave. And she basically there's this moment where like he's got to go and he just doesn't want to go. He's lingering. And finally, he does leave. The sad song comes on. Um it's a song about losing your way. Um, I don't didn't write down any of the lyrics, but just know it was a, I would say a four out of ten in terms of powerfulness, but a seven out of ten in terms of intention. And he, you know, leaves. Riley lays back on her bed. Karen's in her bed, thinking about everything that's happening, and she reaches over and touches the pillow where Uncle Dale would sleep. And Erica and Riley, they go into Tim's classroom the next day and he shuts the door behind them and he says he has good news. The funding he needed came through and he used it to buy a copy machine slash printer, everything you need to make high quality reproductions. If you're getting this kind of funding, I know then use the money to pay off the loan sharks. It's like it definitely is like that's the thing is like that printer thing that that setup is easily twenty five. 
easily. Like everyone is taking 10 steps to solve a problem when they could take two. But at the same time, he's not going to get fired for stealing printer money when he has two counterfeiters on his team. No. That like, I think a public school is going to look into that, especially when they're trying to fundraise for Stephanie. So he says he looks forward to seeing what they can do. And he smirks and leaves them there. Karen is doing laundry at home and she can't fight the temptation to go into Riley's room. And so she starts snooping by looking at her computer, but she can't get into the, you know, she doesn't have the passcode. So she starts digging around in drawers and makeup bags, all the usual places. Like you can't tell if she's looking for Coke or if she's looking for like a gun or what. And then all of a sudden the printer calls to her and she decides to hit print on whatever the last thing was. And this sheet of one-sided bills comes out. Now, Here's the thing. It's literally a piece of paper with four front faces of a Benjamin Franklin on it. And the back is not printed. So if my mom saw I was printing that out, she would never think I was counterfeiting money. She would think think I was project. Yeah. She'd be like, she's wasting computer paper. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was like so crazy how she jumped to the place of like, oh, she must be counterfeiting money. Unless she printed it on the special paper again, I guess. But like, even 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 then, it's still just (laughs) how would you do it? Like, would you reinsert the paper and print the other side or do you glue? Like, because I feel like once you're putting together two pieces of paper, forget it. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever. But yeah, she she knows immediately what's going on. She's like, oh, she's counterfeiting money in here. And it's kind of great. (laughs) It's kind of great because it's like, honey, no. So Erica (laughs) and Riley are working late into the night. And Erica asks her what Karen thinks she's doing. And Riley's like, oh, yeah, I told her I'm looking for a job for real this time. And um, she's like, so, you know, what happened yesterday? And Erica's like, oh, you mean how we found out about us? And Erica's like, yeah, I mean, for starters. And Erica asks what what difference does it make? And Wiley's like, um, he's blackmailing us. Like she can tell that Eric is not enough on her side here. She's a little too defensive of Tim. And um, Eric is trying to convince her that basically it's a great thing to have a teacher on your side because he can cover for you if you need it. And Riley's like, basically, um, are you guys fucking? <laughs> and, Which fair assumption. Right. And she's like, Listen, you're making it sound creepy. Um, He really cares about me. And Riley's like, I'm sorry, what? She's like, I I feel like you're forcing this on me. And Erica says that she needs to stop blaming people every time something doesn't go her way. Remember that Tim wants his money by tomorrow. So they need to work and get it done. They're printing sheets and sheets of money and cutting it up as they go. And they've got this bill counter going. I mean, the operation they have is intense, but it's also kind of funny to see that they're like using the paper cutter that they are that's like so intensely every time like they're doing i mean because you would have to it would have to be like laser like precision yeah Uh, but um like i'm pretty sure that my art teacher would use that to like chop up a larger size of construction paper paper into like three pieces so Um, Riley brings the money to the currency exchange and she looks very paranoid and her voiceover says financial institutions are required to report any transactions over $10,000 to the government to stay anonymous. It's called smurfing. I Googled it. 
we never went to banks. They have standardized bill counting machines with anti-counterfeit features, currency exchanges, and low traffic areas were our main target. They still count by hand and they only use ultraviolet detection if something or someone makes them suspicious. For us, our best cover was a smile and a polite thank you. I don't think they're talking town. They're not talking about their white privilege enough, like at all. But, and this tiny town has 20 currency exchanges. Oh, it's like out of control. Like one's <laughs> next to like a wine and cheese shop, which, by the way, like, let's be real. OK, like when you see like a money gram or if when you see like just like I mean, I guess currency exchange is a little different. But like whenever you see like money related storefronts, it's not like always a sign that you're in the best area. Oh, like check cashing places are always like, oh, no, like. Yeah. And so I kind of like almost feel like it's that because it's like not again, it's not like they're necessarily at a border town and maybe money is just exchanged a lot more in Canada than it's done here. But I it definitely like stuck out to me because I've only really exchanged money at a bank or like at an airport. I've done it at like a currency exchange at the mall before. Like when I was moving to London for six months, I exchanged a ton of money, but yeah, mostly the airport. Like once you're already on your way. So Riley goes into the currency exchange at the mall in a black Bob wig and a trench coat. It's like, this is a party. Such city a wiggy wig. wig. And um, while she's in there, the guy from the chop shop is going to enter. Let's play this clip. This is where it's all starting to shake down. 51-54 to 52-53. Hi, I'd like to get this amount of money in U.S. dollars, please. Certainly. Excuse me a moment. I'm Special Agent Peterson. This is Special Agent Pankow with the Secret Service Financial Crimes Task Force. I'm going to need to see some identification. Sorry, I'm going to be late for an appointment. Oh, hey. You! Hey, 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 Keep him there! Okay, so do you think that the guy from the chop shop is there to to launder his money as well? I literally was like, oh, yeah, he seems like someone who travels internationally. (laughs) Right. Like that guy hasn't like if he's going anywhere, it's Buffalo, New York. Like there's no way that this guy is going for a legal reason. No, I'm like, honey, they take U.S. dollars in Mexico. You're fine. But like, like, dude, what the fuck? Like he I like. Okay, why is he in there? I'm shocked he recognized her in this disguise. I kind of wanted to die for her when the secret security called her ma'am. And like, girl, by the time a federal agent is speaking to you, it's over. It's done. Right. (laughs) Right. Like, it's not by lack of research that they're there. They don't deploy those people without a fucking rap sheet ready to go. They already know who you are. They know where you were born. They know what color P or like color P you like pissed out today. Like they know everything about you. Yeah. Like running has just added to the list of charges now. So she's like, you know, 
we get this like sort of like cute nod to her being a teenager because no one knows the mall like her. And she makes her way around this mall like nobody's business. She does some like bullshit with the elevator, she starts hopping over levels like she's she's really killing it. Um, and she finally gets down to the parking garage. She does lose them at the very last moment, hops into Erica's car and the two of them peel off. And I guess this was a silent ride because they don't discuss what happened in there until they're in Riley's driveway. Oh, that's another such a movie thing where it's like, oh, my God, what's happening? I'll tell you when they get there. And then they drive for presumably 20 minutes in perfect silence. Yeah. And then when they like, park, start talking. I mean, I guess like I imagine the ride went something like Riley, like completely malfunctioning and just sobbing her eyes out. And then like finally getting to a place where she's like it was really bad you don't understand or something and then like as they're rounding the corner she starts to sob again like it was really like oh how'd they kill time like that so i don't know riley um she's completely hysterical what if her friend was like oh i read your co-star um (laughs) (laughs) so Riley's hysterical and she and Erica are pulling into the driveway and Erica's like, listen, if you don't calm down, you're going to give yourself a stroke. And so she and like, I love Erica's in the very much in the the place that you are when you're 17 referencing strokes and aneurysms. And (laughs) this movie was so clearly written by people in their 40s. Like, I don't I I don't even need to click on the description. So she's like, what happened? And, you know, she says that she thinks that the currency exchange people gave them up. She warned Erica about this. She said it was way too risky to keep going to the same places. And Erica asked her if she at least has the money. And she's like, no. And she's like, well, do you have the euros? And she's like, I lost my purse. And Erica starts to freak. Like now this is affecting Erica in like her dick game. Cause she's like, we're $10,000 short. Tim needs the money tonight. We don't have like time to print anymore. And Riley is like, listen, like, you know, I, I should have ran. I should have, you know, I should have let them, I shouldn't have ran. I should have let them take me in, but the guy showed up and I panicked and she, Erica's like, what do you mean? You should have let them take you in. Like you'd be sitting in prison right now. And Riley doesn't know what Erica doesn't understand. She ran. That means they saw her like, this is such teenage logic. So Erica points out, that they just saw her wearing a wig and her ID wasn't in her purse. So they don't know who they are or they'd be at her house right now. And she's going to go inside, call Tim. They're going to smooth things over. It'll be fine. So they run up to Riley's room and Karen's sitting on her bed. And she's like, oh, I'm glad you're both here. And Erica says, well, we're actually about to leave. So she grabs Riley's hand and drags her out into the hall. And Riley tells Erica, stop. We have to tell her. And Karen's like, what? Tell me what about this? And so she shows them the printed page of money. The single page of four bills. That would be like if if your parents like are like saying you watch porn and like someone pulls out like a crudely drawn penis on a piece of paper. Like it's just (laughs) like doesn't hold up. You know what I mean? I, so, oh my god there were times when my parents thought they had caught me out in something and i'm like oh i'm doing something it's just not what you think i am you've caught me for something i'm completely not doing it's so much lamer than you could ever imagine <laughs> yeah. so um riley says you know it's actually a lot worse than that so karen springs into action we're gonna play 5603 to 5650 wait who are you calling Barb from the PTA. She's an attorney. I'm going to see if she can meet us at the police station. 
that's a really bad idea, Riley. Tell her. Barb? Yeah, this is Karen Cartwright. I need to ask you a favor. A big one. This is the situation. I can't believe you're gonna let her do this to us. Erica, it's over. Do you really think that we can keep this up anymore? The cops may be looking for you, but they don't know about me. You better not tell them. What? Wait, Erica! I mean, so naive, Erica. Also that Karen is just letting Erica roll out of the house. Like, you know, my mom would say that, like, Erica's not her responsibility. I'd call Erica's mom, at least. My mom would be like, my concern is how we're going to take care of this for you. And like, she would snitch on Erica later. But like in that moment, my mom would be like, you are so like not my priority. Do whatever you want. Um, I think it's kind of great that Karen's like getting on the phone and doing this um, right away. I will say that like out of out of any of the girls, Erica has to be the one that has a much larger paper trail because she's been so flagrant about this. And Riley's been fairly like good. Yeah, but I think because Riley is the one like doing the majority of the counterfeiting like that's. It's going to come down on her for printing. that. She's doing the printing, but like Erica is the one that's like stopping by. Like, I'm sure there's more footage of Erica at these currency exchanges than Riley. True. But of course, like Riley is the one who brings the technical skill to the game. It's like if they were forging art with the person who made the fake paintings of the person selling the art be in more trouble. Or like, who would you bust? Like the dealer or the distributor? Yeah. But all that said, um, this is how it's going to be, you know, with Erica. She's more concerned about her dick. So she's, you know, Tim's outside in the cold waiting on the girls when he gets a text from the guy he owes money that's saying TikTok time is up, which I love the idea of like a mob boss sending you a text like that. So Erica pulls up to her car, uh, pulls up in her car and she he's like, you're 10 minutes late. Where's your friend? <laughs> I wrote in my notes like he's their teacher. Like he yeah. is so emotionally divorced from Riley, who like he'll later say is his favorite student. And like all signs point to that being true. But it's so interesting how this man has this divide outside of work where like Riley all of a sudden is just like her little friend. Like it's like, no, you know her name, motherfucker. And also, why are they not paying the loan shark in fake bills? <laughs> Uh, trust me i know well i think it's because i thought about that too so like there's a reason why they smurf they smurf alert all that money i should look that yeah. up by the way i don't have the dark web on this computer <laughs> darkweb.com slash google smurfing financial definition okay the act of breaking down a transaction into smaller transactions to avoid regulatory requirements or an investigation by the authorities for example suppose a jurisdiction requires shareholders to register with regulators if they purchase more than five percent of a company's stock a shareholder may smurf by having dummy shareholders purchase smaller quantities so that he controls the majority more than the statutory percentage, but does not have to register. Smurfing is a crime in many jurisdictions. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Smurfing. Why do they call it that, you think? Because, like, the Smurfs are little blue guys? I don't I don't know. I All I can think is like, spoofing. That makes but no spoofing, sense. Smurfing? Smurfs are little blue guys? You guys, I'm sorry. I don't know. 
where why for a second that made some sort of sense to me maybe i don't know whatever listen i don't want to talk about it um uh, moving forward i'll just say that um yeah you're right i think that the main reason why they didn't give the loan shock sharks like the for like the counterfeit cash is because like if anyone would know it's fake it's the loan sharks and also the loan sharks are going to have the means to launder it a lot easier that's true i mean this could have gone way more organized crime like hey (laughs) i could give you fifty thousand dollars in real money or i could give you a million in fake money what you want to do tim you're not a part of this anymore (laughs) no in real life tim would have sold them the girls like tim would have been like i have two pretty girls that know how to counterfeit money like nobody's business like they will work for you nonstop instead of $50,000. How about two girls? Like, trust <laughs> me, like I think anyone would take that deal. They had to sort of cap this at like, <laughs> you know, maybe Tim has some moral compass, but and that would have been the deadly transaction. See, we there and there we got it <laughs> there. We fucking go because you called it earlier. That sounds like trafficking. They he should. <laughs> Tim should have just sold those girls. Um. But yeah, she says she's not coming. You know, Erica's not, or Riley's not her friend anymore anyway. And Tim's like, normally I love a good cat bite, but things are a little tense right now. So he doesn't want to know anymore. He starts going through the bag and realizes he's short. And she's like, yeah, but there was a little bit of a glitch. Uh, that's all I could get. The Secret Service was waiting for them at the exchange. And he's like, you bought the feds down on us? Oh, this keeps getting better and better. And I love that he's saying that to like a 17-year-old. Like, you brought the feds down on us. Like, does she? (laughs) I know they've learned all this very quickly, but like, it feels a little bit like me getting into Bitcoin on a whim. Like, it's (laughs) like you just become way too acquainted with the vocabulary way too quickly. So she tries to pull him closer to her. and. You know, she says that there's still 40 grand in there. They can just cut their losses. And he's like, if I needed 40, I would have said 40. Like, she's trying to, like, romance him a little bit and be like, baby, I <laughs> she's treating him like her boyfriend. And um, he's like, if I don't get the 50 that I owe them by Saturday, they're going to break my legs. And Erica was under the impression that they needed it tonight. And Tim was saying he was hoping he could get them to meet the deadline so he could give it early and get some brownie points with the mafia. He thought that they could handle it, but he gave them too much credit. So she's like, listen, let's just take the 40 grand, get out of town and be together. And he's like, oh, right. You and me on the run outlaws. It's like that actually sounds like a plan. So he's thinking, what do I got to do to get this dumb little bitch to play my (laughs) game? Um, she, you know, it's, it's sweet. It's almost hard to watch because she really doesn't have any idea. She thinks she's going to go get married. Oh, she thinks she's in love. Yeah, she's going to. Yeah, that's her husband. So she's like, um, he's, but he says, but first you got to do everything exactly the way I say it. So we see Oliver meeting up with Erica in the park. Uh Oh, and he asks her, what's up? Is Riley? Okay. And you know, Oliver's eager to go meet her because Riley just iced him out. So he's like, you know, what's going on? And she's like, we hit a snag and blah, blah, blah. They're sort of talking. And while they're talking, Tim sneaks up behind Oliver and punches him out and he falls straight to the ground. Imagine getting punched by your art teacher. 
(laughs) So we cut to the police station. It's a cloudy day. Karen is bringing Riley in with Barb, the lawyer, but they're waiting on her arrival in the car. And Karen says that she knows Riley doesn't want to be there. But this is the smart play. And Riley asked Karen if she remembers when her mom was taken away and she had to stay at her house for the first time. This is worse than that. Um, This was the first time in the movie I really noticed her extensions and I've noticed them since then. But like they did a pretty good job with it. It's just so she obviously seems to have some sort of like bob underneath those extensions and then they they put some like pieces over it i don't know a lot about hair like that i'm not good with fake hair but there's a couple moments where you can sort of see through a little bit too much and in this particular scene i was finally getting the bob footage i needed there's like just some bob showing i like that she asked the grown adult if she remembers when she was 12 years old because i'm like of course karen remembers the first time (laughs) <laughs> of course she does. So Karen It's also a- like her fear of jail should be that much more acute if her mom is in jail. Well, there's like also that dark underside to it, which they don't really get into, but I would like to discuss it a little bit because you know, Riley's mom, and we'll find out more about her sort of at the end of the, the movie, but like her mom was a like a, a troubled woman, you know, sort of mm-hmm. I don't know. I think her mom might still be alive. They just don't have any contact. Like her mom is a user and an unfit parent. And, you know, you got you sometimes you got to wonder, like, was she just like around that enough? Like, I don't think it's like built in her DNA. But like, do you think that she was like exposed to enough of that, that like counterfeiting money seemed like, I don't know, the way that some kids would like maybe smoke a cigarette when they're 12? Like, do you think that she just was like, oh, I mean crazier things have happened i'll try and print some money i think that and also like well i've already got shit dna so i might as well do this stupid thing like but she also has great dna she has karen she does but i could see that like my mom ended up in jail so i'm gonna end up in jail too so like i might as well do this stupid thing it does explain a little bit like why she's so defeated in terms of her life like why she's so like i'm not going to college i'm just gonna figure it out so um they get out of the car and they go into the station 10105 to 10226 oh my god that's over's mom something's wrong this is jackson riley she's his girlfriend where's oliver who did this to him did what is you must know something no what's wrong where's oliver somebody kidnapped my son okay ma'am i need you to calm down okay we have video surveillance we are analyzing it now we're going to find him i give you my word i'm detective last you are karen cartwright this is my niece riley i'm her legal guardian your niece was friends with a missing boy they're dating yes we're gonna need to talk to both of you um that's all right that's actually why we're here. Riley? What? what? Your aunt says you have something to tell us that might be relevant to the case. No. No, I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I don't... I thought I did, but... I don't know anything about this. Riley, I, just, I can't do this right now. 
So what happened there in the police station was that a text came up on Riley's phone. It's a picture of Oliver bound and gagged with a message that says the rest of my money by tomorrow night, tell anyone and he dies. So obviously Riley's going to freak out. I mean, this girl is a very delicate constitution to begin with for someone that started counterfeiting money like she's very affected by this but also come on you're in front of this guy's mom and the cops like and that's bad so yeah karen and riley leave the station and she tells karen outside that they have them you know these guys have them and it's her fault and she shows them the text and karen says that this is difficult but they have to go back in there and tell them everything they know and riley says no but karen insists that this is the right move the longer they wait the harder it's going to be to convince them that she's not a part of this and riley says that if they kill oliver what then she good boy blue <laughs> good boy sorry i have to say that when he's done eating thank you so um <laughs> good boy Basically, like they're going through this dance and Karen's right. They need to go back in there and tell the cops everything. Like, what is Tim going to do? Like, there's no way Tim is going to add manslaughter to his list of problems. He yeah, this high school Erica. art teacher. <laughs> yeah, like this is like Karen's 100 percent right. And Riley is doing the thing that teenagers do where they think like anything in front of them is the biggest problem they'll ever have in their life. And it wouldn't make for a good movie, but I wish Karen had just pushed forward there. Um, but, you know, she says that she needs to break her habit of blaming other people when things go wrong. I mean, that's what Erica said about her. So she has to fix this. And I don't think this is a time. I don't think this is an opportunity for her to challenge that part of herself. No. Um, but a cop comes out of the building and it looks like he's heading towards them. So Karen's like, get in the car. So she's on board. And Tim and Erica are at this little hideout house. And she's hugging him from behind as he looks at his phone. And he's reflecting on the brilliance of his, I'm going to kill your boyfriend text. And it's so like dating a loser comedian in this moment because it's like a guy that like published a tweet he was so insecure about and like it's already online and getting tons of faves and the version of faves in this is that it scared a teenager into leaving the police station which would he even know yeah no but like i mean one could assume right that's the effect he's going for and all these faves are racking up but he's still like oh it could have been better and she's sitting there being like no babe it was great so she says to him, we're not really going to kill him, right? And he's like, no, of course not. This is just a bluff to keep her from flaking on us. And she's like, you know, Oliver, like, he's like, Oliver really likes her, right? And she's like, yeah, big time. And he goes, well, then he's not going to get her in trouble. Like, he's not going to point the finger at you and her in like your best friend, like he's thinking on a different level. So Erica's having doubts. Uh, counterfeiting is one thing, but kidnapping. And Tim says he doesn't like this either. His ass is on the line and he doesn't have a choice. She goes, our asses. We're in this together. Remember? Oh my God. <laughs> Sweetie. Did you, die? <laughs> Did you die when she looks at her fucking art teacher and goes, our asses? We're in this together. Like, it's just like, girl, you are a virgin or like you were like, this is like way too. It's way too much. He's like, you're right. I'm sorry. So they start kissing and he's like, 
um, how far do you guys go back? Fourth grade? And she's like, no, third. And he goes, wow, if it's this easy to get you to betray someone you've known half your life, I wonder how hard it is for you to turn on someone you're just getting to know. And I want to be like, Tim, she's been with you all semester. Like you guys, <laughs> like it's not just a new thing, but she's like, relax, baby. That's not going to happen. That's right. And he goes, that's right. It's not. So these two disgusting people start making out and we pull back and we see that Oliver is zip tied to a water pipe with his arms over his head and his eyes and mouth are covered just like feet away from them. So like that is worse than like being left alone to me. Like I would rather be in like a dungeon than like hearing these disgusting people like making out next to me and also like the context of it all. Like you're all earmuffs. Thank God. I guess like, I mean, it was it was like he just had a a piece of fabric that was tied around his whole head. I don't even think he had earmuffs. I thought he did. I was like, please be spared the sounds of them making out, you poor kid. Trust me, when I saw those headphones earlier, like on the in the lunch scene after watching this the first time, I was like, oh, hopefully they put those headphones on him when they (laughs) tied him to the thing. No, 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 no. I mean, he had whatever cloth was covering his ears from like his eye bandage or his eye what do you call that a blindfold blindfold (laughs) molly jesus christ so karen and riley talk in the kitchen and she asks her how well she knows this tim guy and she's like so karen and riley are talking in the kitchen at karen's house and she asks her how well she knows this tim guy and riley says that erica says he owes money to shady people who will kill him if he doesn't pay up. And maybe they can figure out where he's holding Oliver and go in and get him. And Karen's like, um, we're not Delta Force, which is another reason why I know this movie was written by an old person. Because like, what the fuck is Delta Force? SEAL Team 6. Come on. Update you know, your references. OK, you know, I've, I feel like that's something I've heard old people say, but like, I wouldn't know what that means. So. She's not in a position to take out a loan. Um, Obviously, we know that, Karen. Yeah. So Riley's like, you know, I don't want you to go out on a limb for me. And Karen's like, we're on a limb. Like, we're both on a limb. The federal government is after you. Riley starts to cry. Like, Riley's such a little, like, she should have never done this. She's such a little bitch. She's She's so sensitive. Sorry. No, I mean, like, you know, she just thought she was making some play money. She thought she was making some spending money. And then all of a sudden, it turns out that the teacher Erica wants to fuck happens to be in debt to the mob. Like... I, I kind of see where she's coming from, but also grow up. Yeah. So um, Karen says, you know, they'll figure it out. She's not going to let them take her away from her. So she tells Riley it's time. She taught her everything she knows about printing money. This is their only choice. So Karen's involved now. She's on the team of printing money. Riley and Karen are in the art room and Karen watches how Riley can move about the room and like how she's getting this all done. And she's like, I wish that you would put some of this effort into your homework, but I have to admit <laughs> I'm impressed. And Riley says it's so weird to hear her say that because she's our aunt and because they're partners now. Karen says that they've always been partners. Riley just was too busy being a teenager to see it. So Riley says to Karen, if they get through this, she will never slack off in school again. And Karen's like, yeah, I'll hold you to that, but we need to get down to it right now. So they start making and stacking money 
It's very familiar. We've been here before. Karen is passed out in her bed in the morning after a long night of work, but someone knocks at the front door. It's the detective they met at the station. She's there to follow up on what they started yesterday regarding Oliver. She mentions that it looks like Karen has a long had a long night and she's like, yeah, it's been a lot for us. Um, I'll go upstairs and get Riley. And Riley is obviously nervous to speak to the detective and Karen assures her that it's probably fine. And Riley says that Tim wants his money today. Karen's like, just put your clothes on and go talk to the detective. I wish that while they were doing this money thing last night, they could have had the hard conversation about what would need to be said to the detectives today. Like, I wish Riley had been primed for this today. Yeah. And the fact that she's surprised that the cops are following up after they went to the police station and bounced is like, girl, you can't take that back. Like the feds have seen you and you've gone to the cops and then been like, never mind. The thing I thought I wanted to tell you, I don't want to tell you anymore. That party city wig is not going to take you the places for other people mentally that you hoped it would, you know? So we pick up toward the end of Riley's interview with the detective and she just answered questions about the last time she saw him, et cetera. Karen asked the detective if she has any leads. And the detective says that they have camera footage of two perpetrators, one probably female. They think they knew the victim. And Riley starts to cry. And Karen asks how many more questions she has. This has all been a lot for Riley. And the detective says that um, there's one more thing. There's a counterfeit ring in the area that they're investigating. It might be connected to several teenagers. Does she happen to know anything about that? Riley says, no, not even rumors around the schoolyard. She says that she's, you know, not sure that she's heard of it at all. So she thanks them for cooperating during the stressful time and she leaves. And Riley jumps up and tells Karen that that detective definitely knows. She could see it in her face. And it's like, no shit, Riley. Oh, yeah. (laughs) No shit. And like, it's like the least of your problems right now. So. Karen says that if she is suspicious, it's the best thing they can do is to just convince her that everything is normal. And Riley's going to go to school. She's going to go to work. So they do this like performative saying goodbye in the morning type thing outside where Riley Which, hugs like, Karen goodbye. If my boyfriend was kidnapped, I might take the day from school. Yeah, you take the day. <laughs> but I guess like, I don't know. I don't know. What's the right move to do here? You know, don't counterfeit money. Um <laughs> Right. It would have to start a long time ago. So it would it would, it would be going back to the police station, admitting everything. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so they hug goodbye and Riley gets on her bike and rides off and Karen gets into her car and puts her purse down on the front seat of the car and just tons of cash is waiting to fall out. It's bursting at the seams. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, the detective is on the street waiting for this like goodbye thing to play out. And she calls one of her partners And says, like, essentially, I need backup. So Riley's at school and they must have filmed this on a dolly or something. Potentially the one from the chop shop that she used to get underneath all the cars. The way they filmed (laughs) this is kind of cool. Like she's moving at a glacial pace through the hallway while everyone else is moving around her sort of regular. And she's like, just like they're all staring at her as she's like gliding by them and the lighting is very moody and dark. But then as she makes her way around the corner, it's like she's entering out of a cave and all this bright light streams in and we see Tim coming around the corner with a gun. And then she snaps back into reality when the bell rings. Apparently she just fell asleep in class. And this is a school where they let you do that. You know, she just nap it out. 
fucking knocked out for an hour. And she, you know, in terms of the whole school thing, she has been through a lot recently. She did just lose her friend, Stephanie, to cancer. And then her boyfriend is now missing. So she walks to her locker. And when she puts her bag in there, you hear the principal say, oh, that's Riley. And he's standing with two men in suits and Riley knows what's coming. So she makes a break for it. And instead of like instructing the kids to go one way or another, <laughs> did you notice this? The detectives just keep banging into high school kids left and right. Like you would have thought those kids were in on it. Like we'll block them so Riley can get away. <laughs> right. Like it was like it was honestly like major situational awareness triggers for me where I'm like, guys, look alive. <laughs> like. If a There's grown a man in a suit is running, get out of his way. <laughs> there is a, a secret services nightmare happening at your school. And also, like, you know, you would think that they would be like everybody to the right, like or something like you would think they would have had some like control over the situation or maybe had some training on how to make their way through a crowd. These guys nope. are fucking flops at like working their way through crowds. It's unbelievable how that like has completely escaped them. So, um, she, you know, she uh, we see we cut to Karen at the currency exchange and on her way in, she clocks this man who's leaving. He has a badge and a gun on his way. So she's like, OK, I'm walking into the lion's den. Riley makes it outside, but her bike is locked. And so she, you know, is having a hard time getting the bike unlocked, but she gets it right in time so she can peel off before these guys can catch her. And the guys like don't continue to run after her bike. They just like no. stop because they don't have a car. They can go after her. or just like run faster. Like it's a teenager on a bicycle. Like I get it. Like, I guess that's kind of fast, but like she's not like Lance Armstrong. So Karen is uh, handing the woman behind the counter a band and they run it to the back and she it shows up as counterfeit. Um, and she gets a text from Riley saying to meet her at the park. And despite the money being fake, the woman hands Karen her euros and tells her to have a great day. And of course, you know, the second after Karen leaves the currency exchange, um, a guy comes out of the shop behind her and gets into a car directly parked behind her vehicle. And she doesn't even notice that she's being trailed until she gets to this red light. And all of a sudden it occurs to her, maybe I'm being traced. <laughs> and she is like, they have like, but, a, a yeah. they have a monitor on the money, which like would have been so smart to just leave it there. Like, I know she couldn't have seen the events that were to come, but like if she had just left that tracker on the money, things would have like worked out for the better, I think. Yeah. But she's worried that the cops who are already behind her are going to continue to follow her. So she decides to take the little tracer off the money and drop it out the window at the red light. Yeah, like, and she like sticks her whole hand out the window and drops this massive chip out. Like I've been pulled over for like throwing a cigarette butt out of the window of my car in West Hollywood. And like, I don't do that anymore. Like because of that, like, but they'll catch you for throwing something small at your window. If they're not even looking for you, let alone if you're being trailed by like four FBI agents or whatever. So she pulls into the park and she asks Riley what happened. And she's like, the feds were at my school. They know who I am. And Karen says that they were at the exchange too. And the best she could do would just, you know, she just has euros. 
So she tells Riley that she's going to take the money and try and get Oliver back. She needs to go to the police station and turn herself in. Tell her, tell the police that everything was Karen's idea, the counterfeiting, the money laundering, all of it. She wants to take the blame. Basically, it's the only way to get out of it. And Riley says, um, you know, she can't do that. She takes Karen's bag and says that this is her chance to like do right. She's not going to let Karen take the fall for her mistakes. Yeah. So she runs off. And before Karen can stop her, the cops come in and they tell her to put her hands on her head. So Karen's arrested on the first time they pull guns. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They pull guns like and which, by the way, they should. But like also Karen definitely would have put her hands on her head even without the guns. Yeah. But like if you want some teenagers to move into high school, pull a gun. If you want people in a mall to stop getting in your way, pull a gun. Yeah, that would have been pretty uh, wild, I would say. Like, that would definitely make the news if some feds pulled out guns at a high school. True. Especially a Canadian gotten- <laughs> high school. Canada doesn't see action like us. That's true. They're not used to it. They'd all lose their minds. It is U.S. money that they're talking about counterfeiting. But, like, they did not try to disguise that this is in Canada. Like, at no, all. No, not well at all. Like, they just kind of lied about what currency they have in Canada. (laughs) And like they could have gotten away with it by just saying dollars, but they say U.S. dollars like. Yeah. So um, the detective comes into the room at the station where they're holding Karen and says that their friends at the Secret Service wanted to handle this interrogation. And she told them that a missing boy takes precedence over a fraud investigation. And thankfully, she won the fight. Karen is sitting across from her and says that she already told them the kidnapper is Tim Sylvester and he's the art teacher at Riley's school. The detective asks her what's her relationship with him. And Karen says without skipping a beat that they were partners in the counterfeiting ring. They had a falling out over money and she's been drowning in debt for six months since her husband died. And she asks Karen about her guardianship of Riley. And she says that Riley has never known her dad and her older sister Riley's mom was an unfit parent, drugs, petty crime. She took Riley in when she was 12 and then she let her down. So this is like little sis took in Riley. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable. Honestly, I was not expecting her to say, oh, yeah, me and Tim Sylvester are partners. Like, I know. I thought she would just be like, I did it. Like, yeah, I didn't even realize that she would say, oh, yeah, we're partners. We've been doing this together because then you've then implicated yourself in the kidnapping that Tim did. I guess. Well, no, she did say that that things went bad between them. Oh, true. That he's gone rogue. So the detective says that Riley may not be your daughter, but she might as well be. Parents do anything to protect their child. Why should she believe that this is the truth? And Karen says she doesn't care if she believes her. Just find her. Find them both. So that's a good point, Karen. Like, in the world of justice, it doesn't really matter what the cops believe. (laughs) All that matters is, like, enough people willing to tell a version of a story. So... Riley's running to the house uh, with the money when she gets the address and she shows up to the small house with Karen's bag in hand and goes into the back. And finally, she sees Oscar hanging from a pole. Oliver. Oh, why did I write (laughs) Oscar? (laughs) I wrote down Karen as Carolyn in half my notes. Oh, I do that sometimes. I like a little name change. Like, you know, sometimes it does all sound the same. But thank you for thank you for calling me on that, because that is 
it's notable. So Oliver's hanging from this pole and Erica is giving him a talking to. Let's play 119.30 to 121.34. Will you relax, please? I told you you're going to be here soon. Erica, you have to listen. He's quick. Oh, he's back. When she gets us the cash, we're leaving. You stab us in the back. Riley goes down too. Is that what you want? She should be here any minute. Looking for me? Yeah. Hmm. Money? Yeah. Throw it over. They all are. Yeah. The police were on me at the exchange, okay? I'm lucky I got away with anything. That wasn't the deal. We were best friends. You're gonna go with this jerk off and screw me? What the hell, Erica? Let's go now. No, 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 not yet. Not yet? Let's just go before the cops find us here. You still don't get it, do you? No, I, I want the police to find you. <laughs> That's kind of the whole point. What? Tim, what are you doing? It's really sad when friendships get torn apart over a man. And when there's a lot of money involved. Things can get really messy. Okay, serious fight choreography. I'm not going to take you guys through it all necessarily, but Riley beats Tim over the head with a piece of wood and he falls to the ground, drops the gun. And if Erica had had the balls, she would grab it, but she doesn't. And no, I I'm wondering why exactly like she's no longer beholden to him. I think maybe she's just in shock more than anything like. A, he's not her boyfriend anymore. B, her boyfriend pulled a gun on her. Like, yeah, for a lot of, you know, she's a lot of talk, dude. Erica can't hang. Honestly, when I was watching Riley beat the shit out of him with that plank, I'm like, hun, you you're going to be fine in prison. It's OK. Like, dude, for you sure. You can handle yourself. For sure. She is so down. Like, Erica would not survive a day in prison. You're so right. Riley Erica would fold. Riley would be fine. Yeah, she's great. So. Um, basically, like she trips and falls. She manages to knock him one more time in the head. She yells for Erica to run while she makes her way out, out the way she came in to another part of the house. And Tim shoots at Erica twice, but misses. So he's like, fuck you, Erica. Like, I'm going to kill you, bitch. Um, but then he goes on the hunt for Riley and he calls out Riley. You were my favorite student. So much wasted talent. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she turns her head to look for him. And that's when he comes up on the other side of the wall that she's sitting on. You know, she's sitting between like a, 
a broken piece of a wall. That's also yeah. a big lifetime only thing that exists in like trailers, you know, where there'll be like a loose wall piece, but like not yeah. in not in a, in a place like this. So she's like, please don't kill me, please. And he's like, I'm really sorry. And in the theatrics of it all, he loses himself long enough for Erica to have found her taser and she comes up behind him and, uh, you know, she hits him with those those 50 50 volts of electricity or whatever they're called. What are they called? 50,000. No, it was volts. Volts. Yeah. So yeah. Erica says he was going to kill me, that son of a bitch. I love that. This is why Erica cares. It's so perfect. So the two of them, you know, run out of there. It's sunny now and we're outside of a church. Riley comes out uh, into the parish office area with Karen's purse and greets the woman at the desk saying that she has a donation for Stephanie Summers Memorial Fund, a cash donation. She gives her like I mean, that's got to be 100 K in U.S. currency and 30 in euros. Yeah. Did you say you had like those bands counted? I did the full math. So. Oh, my God. God bless you. (laughs) I'm so it was driving me crazy. So like a standard like bank stack of bills is 100 bills. So if they're doing hundred dollar bills, that's 10,000 every time. Mm -hmm. So like when they're talking about like we have to get you know tim is fifty thousand. they should just have five stacks but they have like 25 no yeah they're bringing like so much more like piles of so i in the scene where like they're like doing stack after stack in the classroom they had 35 stacks and that was like the second montage wow so like they they are so beyond fifty thousand dollars <laughs> like yeah it's i mean she easily just gave like all of this, I guess you could say laundered money directly to Stephanie's charity. I mean, it's like $150,000 she gave. And this, yeah. this parish doesn't even really know what to do with the information. Like, you know, when you work at a church of this size, you're not used to seeing a lot of money come in. I think it's, it's pretty great that she used the opportunity she had to turn that around and like give this money, I guess it's money that would have been considered lost anyway or stuck in police evidence. So that was kind of smart of her. But this poor parish person is going to like go to the currency exchange to exchange those euros and get tackled by a Fed. Like, oh, no, I know it's going to be like a whole paperwork nightmare, but hopefully they'll let them keep it. I mean, it would be pretty it would be pretty rude if they hosed a cancer charity. (laughs) (laughs) she just gave us the euros the dollars definitely came from other people so i haven't been to canada since i guess montreal for 89 dollars but since before that since i was a child and when we go to like the six months later title card we're like seeing what looks like drone footage of a quiet suburb but like the trees in it are so red like this is definitely an oil painting that they're working through <laughs> unless Canada is known for neon red trees, which I guess would explain their flag. Maybe I would aren't like, yeah, maple trees are like crazy red. Yeah, these trees are red as fuck. Like when I tell you like this is a lip, this is Ruby Woo from Mac that's going on here. So six months later, one twenty four nineteen to one twenty five fifty three. Now you can just apply the filter. Great. <laughs> but with just a little practice, you'll be a pro in no time. 
making good, Cole. Susie, educational games only or I'll get in trouble. How's community service going today? Great. Two more years of this, and I'll have paid my debt to society. Could have been a lot worse. Yeah. If it wasn't for you and my aunt, definitely. You saved my life. <laughs> Being a character witness, the least I could do. By the way, you ready to go see your aunt? Oh, you don't have to come, really. I said I'd drive you. I'll drive you. Thanks. Taking a bus to the federal penitentiary is very depressing. <laughs> By the way, have you figured out what you're going to do once she's out? Yeah. I'm going to spend the rest of my life paying her back. <laughs> like most crime sprees, ours came crashing down around us. We could have died. Instead, I walked away with a felony conviction and a life lesson. Crime doesn't pay, even with counterfeit money. Next to the words community service, I just wrote white. I mean, it is like, yes, she should be absolutely at best raking on the side of the freeway, like 100 percent. But OK, so she's working this like little cutesy community service thing. <laughs> Oliver comes and brings her a Starbies. Um, totally over the fact, I mean, I guess as over it as you can be, he must be pretty committed to the bit at this point, but he, you know, brings her Starbies offers to drive her to federal prison to go see her on Karen. We have no idea what happened to Erica or Tim. What? Or Tim or Tim. Yeah. I assume Tim is also in federal prison, probably in a different block. <laughs> but like if Karen, Karen was telling the story of like, Oh, me and Tim were partners in it from the beginning. Like Tim was just like, yeah, I'll go with that story too. I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Oh God. Yeah. Karen's probably doing 20. Right. Yeah. I mean, now that you mention it, Oh, fuck. Karen's so fucked. <laughs> yeah, especially for the amount of money that they were laundering, because like, I'm sure it's not just the 50K. I'm sure it goes oh, back no. way further than that. And I do wonder, like, how they got through the trial, like with that, too, especially with Karen having no information. Yeah. Like, how did you make the money? I uh, did it with the chemicals and the press and the pictures. Like, well, Karen's story just doesn't hold up because like, that would imply that Tim was like also the genius behind this. And like, he wouldn't have any answers either. No. Like what? And are they also they say? have to have corroborating stories. Like, and they just wouldn't like, yeah, they wouldn't. And I think the only way they could do it is if they somehow sold the police on the idea, which Tim would have no reason for doing like sold the police on the idea that they made these little girls do this for them. Yeah. But I, it just doesn't it. Yeah. I mean, I would like more answers on that. That's a great point. And um, yeah, like the last, like the button on this, like, I guess the, oh you God. know, and this is like funny. The in denouement. A, yeah. This is funny in a movie about like the internet or something where you see like, Oh, we went through all that. And here's the cycle repeat repeating again. Right. This, that's funny in a lot of movies. But like in this movie, they decided to have the little girl that 
is learning computer art from <laughs> from uh, Riley at her community service. Take a $20 bill and start scanning it on the scanner at, at whatever <laughs> community center they're at. And it's like, oh, so all you're saying is that you cannot stop the next generation, next generation of counterfeit money. Like, that's all you're saying. Yep. It's a it's such a weird ending. I think it's it's like it's cute. But also one of my one of my problems with the voiceover in this is that Riley came in so down in the beginning. Yeah. Like her intro like voiceover was very like. Let me tell you what happens like when you do something like this versus like, let me tell you what happens when you do something like this. Like if her voice became more serious as the story got more serious that would be one thing, but like she started out depressed and ended having learned a moral. And, and I ended just, with like crime doesn't pay, even with counterfeit bills. Uh-huh. Like, right. Like such I would an think, like, adorable finishing line for her. Like if that's where you are at the end of the story, then start the like the tempo of the story is not working for me, baby. No. Like it's just not working. So Yeah, I mean, God bless. This was a really fun movie, I will say. Like, this was a really fun one. I I think the first time I watched it, I was like, whoa, this is, like, kind of deep. But (laughs) I guess that just shows, like, how many Lifetime movies I've watched this year. But um, I'm really glad that you were able to come and join me again. Yeah. Thank you for coming. Do you have any final thoughts on this this film? Thank you for doing the math, by the way. It was just going to drive me nuts if I didn't. I so Um, appreciate someone who's called to do that because I would have been like too intimidated. (laughs) I appreciate that about you. I think it comes from like a fan fiction thing. And you're like, if I don't get the proper price of lettuce in 1945, no one is going to buy your story. Like you do your fanfics. I love that we've unearthed fanfic in you. I'm like dying for it. AO3 for life. Um, you have to get into <laughs> archive of our own. It is yeah. the best deep dive. No, um, that's what I've been on, dude. Oh my god! Yeah, I had to suffer through fanfiction.com, which was the worst. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. Okay. Um, the, <laughs> the one IMDb like fun fact was all of the serial numbers on the bills are the same. They would have gotten caught immediately. Oh, was that a fun fact? On I didn't even go through IMDb. I There's was only like, one, oh. and it's just the serial number on every bill is the same. Oh, I mean, that makes sense. I was wondering, like, because they did look pretty uniform and I was sort of looking for like what it would have been. But there you go. Serial number was the same. God bless whoever uh, looked into that. Like, I'm sure they were probably like, can I just print this off my DVR? Um, Dude, I appreciate you coming and doing this. You guys don't have context on this, but it's like a Friday evening. It's like a little later than we normally do it. And you just got off of a whole ass work day. So I really appreciate that. You're like in the weeds at work. I told you earlier and I wasn't joking. If you want me to like <laughs> include where you work in our bio, you're you're doing mortgages right now. And I, if anyone in California needs a mortgage, I mean, Chelsea Sanders is your girl. I, I got you. Message me on Twitter and I'll get you a mortgage. <laughs> yes. Now's a great time to buy, refinance, whatever it is you need to do. You guys, thank you so much for listening. By the way, oh my God, I'm on the IMD. Disappointing final score for this 4.8. Wow. I, I would give it like a six. Wait, can I read one review? Oh my yes. God. Kazabuza is really mean about this. Oh my God. Not even good enough for TV. 
This is a movie about criminality. The criminality of the writer, the director, and the cast. Oh God. <laughs> what a turkey. The only urgency the viewer feels is the urgent need to flee or take an extended bathroom break to avoid the tedium. If I didn't know better, I'd suspect that this Canadian-made effort was intended purely to cash in on CanCon requirements and to grab as much government cash as possible. Oh, wait. Wait, what's CanCon? I think that's probably like the Canadian, like... um, I have no idea. They have like a whole... They have a Canadian content. It's a um, it's a uh, CRT, uh, CRTC requirements derived from Broadcasting Act of Canada. Um, they must produce or broadcast a certain percentage of content that was at least partly written, produced, presented, or otherwise contributed to by persons from Canada. So that's like why I can't write on Degrassi. Oh. That's, that CanCon is what has killed my dreams. It's actually very Canadian. How weird of me to not know the name of <laughs> the thing that's hurt me the most. Um, you guys, thank you so much for listening. All of Chelsea's information will be found in the description of this podcast per usual. Chelsea, I'm so thankful for you for coming and doing this podcast. And I was so happy to do it again. I needed some motivation at the beginning. <laughs> I was like having a hard time reading my words. So I really appreciate you for, for being a cheerleader to me when I need you so much tonight so thank you so much and um, anytime guys, this was a great movie i i do recommend it despite imdb's reviews it does not reflect my opinions thank you so much for listening you are appreciated we love you and we'll talk to you soon bye bye herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.